Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 27, headlined by Cody Garbrandt and Rob Font in a blistering bantamweight belt that should help us determine who deserves to be in the top five, even in the top three. Big, big fight for Rob Font, big headliner spot for him, especially up against a former headline or former champion in Cody Garbrandt. So I can't wait to see how he does under that type of pressure and against such a high-level opponent like Cody Garbrandt. As you guys already know, Bellator is on in the background. That's something that we might be alluding to every now and then during the stream. But our main focus is going to be breaking down UFC uh, Vegas 27 for you guys. So I'm hoping that you guys are strapped in and ready to go. And as always... I bring a great crew of guys to help me break it down every single week. It's a different crew every single week, but it's definitely a very solid crew every single week, and I'm very much looking forward to breaking it down with them. So first and foremost, let's bring in the A side of the crew here. We got my guy Craig Allen from the Fight Night Picks, half of the Fight Night Picks we got, Craig. How's it going, my brother? Uh, it's going well. Listen, you talked about the Bellator. We got all kinds of hockey going on right now. So I'm excited about that. The Seattle Kraken next year, playoff hopeful. So yeah, no, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. And this weekend's card is insane. Like you said, Font, Garbrandt. There's so many great matchups. There's so many things to be excited about. I can't wait for it. Absolutely. I can't wait. Eventually, I'll have your brother on and you guys will switch <laughs> seats. And I'm looking forward to that aspect too. But I'm more than happy to have you on to, to kind of Pop the cherry for the Fight Night Brothers on the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. Next up, we got my guy Dave Millhouse. You guys know him from the Line Sniper HQ, and he has a bunch of other stuff as well. Dave, what's going on, my dude? Hey, man. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a cool show, man. I've been looking forward to getting on late night with you, chopping it up. It's a good, uh, good fight card. Looking forward to it, man. Hell yeah. We're kind of in reverse positions now, right? Usually you're the one host and I'm the one coming on Line Sniper HQ, but it's good to actually reverse the positions this time around and have you uh, be the analyst per se. All right, let's bring in the last guest here. We got my guy Brian Peachtree from MMA Takes Podcast. What's going on, Brian? Hey, how's it going, guys? Listen, it's an honor to be here. Manpreet, you're the hardest working guy in MMA capping, maybe capping in general. Ah. Respect your hustle. Craig. YouTube star, him and his brother killed on YouTube. He was one of the first guys to ever kind of follow me, engage me. Awesome, dude. Dave, I just started following you. You got 10,000 followers. I think you're doing okay. <laughs> so uh, welcome. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Let's talk some fights. Let's win some money. Let's get it. Hell yeah, dude. Brian is one of those guys that I was very much looking forward to bringing on this type of show to showcase the guys that probably aren't at the popularity level of most of the guys I've been bringing on. So I want to kind of give them the rub, give them that the platform that they deserve. And I'm happy to actually have them on for this show. So Brian, appreciate you carving out the time to come appreciate on you, buddy. Show, brother. Appreciate you. All right, like I said, we're breaking down UFC Vegas 27. We do have Bellator and LFA going on in the background. I'm sure you guys in the chat will be talking about it, so go buck wild all you guys want to do. But again, our focus is going to be UFC Vegas 27. And let's not waste too much time here. Let's just get right into the card. The first fight of the night, we got Demir Ismagulov making his return after roughly a two-year layoff, coming back now fighting uh, Rafael Alves. Uh, Alves has the dubious honor of being the guy that never made it his UFC debut last time around because he missed weight by 11 motherfucking pounds. Now here he is going up a weight class once again and makes the weight without much issue. Gives us a little bit of a scare before hopping on the scales, trying to make it look like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it again. And this guy actually finally jumps on the scale and absolutely absolutely makes it kind of dupes us all luckily for him but he is coming on as a plus 440 dog minus 510 the return on Demir's Magulov and I'll kick things off here 
Ismagulov is my dark horse in this lightweight division, man. And the only reason I say dark horse is because he just doesn't stay active enough. Another guy that I had in this position before at the same division was Mirabai Tysonov. The guy just didn't fight, right? He had all these visa issues and he just could never really get a fight. And then when he finally fought, you know, he ends up coming up short to Carlos Diego Ferreira and then that balloon ends up bursting. I hope this is not a Carlos Diego Ferreira moment for Demir Ismagulov as I believe it's a great stylistic matchup for him. Should go in there, implement his point fighting style, stay out of the big shots from his opponent. Um, you know, pretty much style on him, let Rafael Alves whiff at air for the most part. And then we know Alves has a little bit of gas tank issues. And I think that Demiris Magulov can take advantage of that later in this fight to the point of possibly finishing him. I'm not 100% sure. Is Magulov seems like one of those guys that goes out there and just tries to outpoint you and just beat you. Don't, doesn't really care to be that flashy guy. Doesn't really care to have that highlight reel knockout or anything like that. But who knows what this two-year layoff has done to him. Maybe he's like, fuck, I, I missed out on two years now. Let me try to make that up by having a really good performance here. Uh, either way, I think that Isma Gulov, you can throw him in a parlay if you want. I know minus 500 is chalky as fucking square as fuck. But I truly believe this guy has top five potential, if you want to call it that. And uh, yeah, I think he... I think he sweeps Alves here pretty much 30-27 all around. Nine rounds that Demir Magulov has had inside the UFC hasn't lost one. Uh, I will say this, though. If you are afraid about that that rust, possibly, of Demir Magulov, I think round one for Alves is plus 11-25. So that's not a bad hedge-out opportunity if you're a little bit too heavily invested in Demir Magulov, <clears throat> like your boy is. But I'm taking Demir Magulov uh, by decision. Craig, I'll let you uh, take the reins on this one. How do you like this fight? I mean, you talk about all the rounds that Demir Ismagulov's won. So I had it written down. Five 30-27s, three 30-26s, one 30-25. The guy's absolutely obliterated the competition. And all of the conversation this week is the fact that does Tiago Moises really deserve the fight that he has coming up with Makachev? I don't know. I mean, I like Tiago Moises a lot. And Demir Ismagulov likes him too because he beat him out of the water. And yeah, <laughs> it was one of the closer fights that he's had in the UFC. And is Alex Georgies, is he fighting very often? Have we really heard of him since that one time? No, and he's still a young guy. That's just how good Demir Ismagulov is. But like you mentioned, maybe you want to hedge it. Alves is one of those guys that you talk about. It whiffs it air, but he puts a lot into his shots. He throws a lot of weird stuff. He's one of those guys that Paul Felder would absolutely hate commentating a fight for because before the fight, when he's getting introduced, he'll do the flips. He'll do the rolls. Like He expends a ton of energy even before the fight started. I hate that. I like him as a fighter because he's creative. He hits really hard. He has a lot of great defensive submissions as well. And that might scare you if you like Ismagulov, but I do like Ismagulov. I don't have him in any type of parlays or anything. It's too chalky, like you said. But, uh, man, the guy is a great fighter, and I can't wait for this fight. Amazing record. Right? I believe he's 22 and one at this point in time. I believe he's on a 17 fight winning streak, which is absolutely amazing, especially going through that Russian MMA scene compared to the LFAs and the Alaska FCs. You know, you're getting a lot more stiff competition on that Russian MMA scene. Dave, how are you seeing this one? You see any value on the Hafia Lava side at all? <clears throat> Not really. Um, I, I'm, I'm just like you guys here. I think he's got one round of danger in his hands. Um, but you know, you don't want to be betting on one round of potential variance. Look, uh, is Magulov's going to dominate? Like what, you know, he's, uh, I think the odds are set pretty perfectly. I guess the, the one angle I'll be looking for is if Alves can come out and, and fire, you know, pretty hot, uh, we might get a slightly better live line on his Magulov. Um, but otherwise I got really nothing intelligent to say it's lined appropriately and it's lined like a fucking slam dunk. So. Alley-oop. 
I'm right there with you. I'll slam that for you, Blake Griffin, it for you. But uh, Brian, how how are you seeing this one? You want to give Alves a little bit more credence, or is are we on the money with Demir's Mugula? I mean, you guys are on the money. It's it's this is an e. This is properly placed. Demir is one of those fighters that he's almost safe. That he's like he's perfect and he's safe. Like he doesn't put himself in danger. He dominates guys. He's beating really good guys. I mean, Tiago Moises isn't like a world beater. He got the Islam fights. He said, yes, no one wants to fight Islam. But he also beat uh, Yo Alvarez, who is a solid prospect as well. He's been out for a little bit. Again, if you have the dominant cruise mindset, ring rust doesn't exist, you can do it. But Alves looked good at the weigh-ins. He looked ripped up. The stare-down was a little, little, and you can't tell by a guy's bodies, but he looked ripped up. He looked good. He's up, you know, tried to 45. Now he's at 55. But Demir's just on the money. I mean, the guy's so good. You look at the guys who are unranked at 155 right now, it is unbelievable the talent we have. A lot of a lot of guys coming from Europe, and it's 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 a dog dog fight in there at 155. I love it. And Demir, I think it's gonna be after this performance is gonna be the top of the heap where guys are gonna maybe try to avoid him. But yeah, I mean the line minus five sixty is a little heavy for your boy. I even don't like putting that in parlays just because if it really blows up in your face, it hurts that much more. Because you're like, why did I put 560 in there? But I do think he's a pretty much lock of the night. I think he's going to dominate. I think Alves will gas, and then maybe Demir will get a finish late in the second, early third, um, just because Alves isn't known for his cardio. But, yeah, we're all over Demir here. Yeah, when I initially saw this matchup, Dave, go ahead. I was just going to say, <laughs> like, what do you guys give as an actual probability here, like, of Ismagulov going out there and winning this fight? I haven't had like 90% to be honest. Like I, I don't give out as much of a chance. Like 90% gives you a fat edge on minus 560. Yeah. You know, awesome like, in the parlays, baby. <laughs> 90% is minus 900. So like I, I would feel bad. I would it. feel bad uh, putting like minus 500 on Ben Rothwell against Chris Barnett into a parlay. I know he's in the minus 300-ish, but Demir Magulov, you know, way more trustworthy. 22 and one fighter, very safe fighter in my opinion. I'd feel much more yeah. safer with that too, right? And you should feel good about it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if he loses, you can just reset all your parlays immediately. True. First fight of the it's, night. It's exactly. not like it's the worst spot for a chalk. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead. Yeah. Continue. I was uh, I, I do work closely with Demir Mogulov's manager as well. And I was questioning him right off the bat. I was like, hey, why are you guys taking this fight? You know, I mean, let's get this guy a little bit ahead in the rankings. He, he beat Tiago Moises last time around. Look what Moises is doing. He goes, do you really want to take too risky of a fight coming back after such a long layoff? Let's get his feet wet again. Alves still, you know, a dangerous opponent. Let's not completely write him off. So I was completely uh, with the understanding as to why they took this fight. And I'm with it. Let's just get Demir in there first and foremost, all right? All right, next up, we got Yancey Medeiros going up. Uh, Demir number two, uh, Demir Hadzovic going up. Uh, we got minus 125 on Demir Hadzovic, plus 115 on Yancey Medeiros. Craig, I'll let you kick this one off, brother. How are you feeling about it? <sighs> what a weird fight, right? Like, Yancey so Medeiros weird. one time fought at middleweight and strike force, and now we're here fighting at lightweight, and he was a performance a bonus machine. He was one of those guys, kind of like Lando Venata, who bit me in the ass last weekend. Uh, so I, I have a hard time. You know, you look at Demir Hadzovic, the high tie stance. He's a good striker. His grappling is there. It exists. It's a thing that we see sometimes. But you look at the fight against Moicano. Like, Moicano's a great fighter, right? But you look at how that happened. I'm going to lock the body. I'm going to trip takedown. I end up in his guard. Eh, I'll just stand back up. And then Demir gets lazy, stands up. Moicano slides in behind his back and submits him like, Demir, what are you doing? And so for Yancey Medeiros, maybe you like him here. Long fighter, decent striker, but we haven't seen it, right? You look at the last two wins over the forever prospect, Eric Silva, and Cowboy <laughs> Oliveira. And now we're 2021. 
I've got Demir Hadzovich in this one. I, I mean, this is a guy that's finished Mersh and held in the past. I, I have Hadzovich, but, you know, it is a tricky fight. I'm right there with you. I have a lot of question marks about it, and I was hoping that you guys could bring some clarity to me for it. Dave, how do you feel about this matchup? You got some uh, value on Yancey as the dog at all, or do you like uh, Hadzovich here? Actually, I, I didn't uh, take any action on this, but I think you could make a case that there's reasonable value on Demir. Um, he's the more efficient striker by quite a bit. You know, Yancey's minus 1.3 strikes a minute through his career with a 35% accuracy. Um, and pairing that with a defensive rate of 46, meaning 54 get through. Uh, he's minus 19% against his opponents. Mm, not going to say it's a great schedule. It's an okay schedule, but he's like severely uh, outstruck in his matches in terms of efficiency. And on the other side, Demir, you know, he eats what he, what he gives, um, but he does it way more efficiently. He's a plus 12% on the striking versus expected. That's when you take the striking accuracy and then the striking defense. And uh, generally it's said that you should give what you take. Well, he's plus 12% and Yancey's minus 19%. Um, he's just way more efficient. Um, and his grappling does exist. It's not great. But uh, if one of these guys is the better grappler, I think it's Demir too. So um, I think Yancey's kind of fallen off a cliff. I bet him to beat Lando. I felt really stupid. Um, and I guess you could say I'm just kind of done with him until further notice you know like it just i feel like he's uh just here for a paycheck do you think that maybe uh, honestly i'm the same way though i i was kind of surprised that you still under contract and he even got another fight it seems like forever since the last time we saw him fight which was february of last year if i'm not mistaken uh brian you giving any more credence to our guy yancy Medeiros, or do you think demir hadzovich has this in the bag this is the hardest fight for me to pick because i do think yancy has good chokes. I think I don't think his takedowns are great, but he does have submissions on his record. Demir obviously is struggling in that area. But it came down to the wars Yancey's been in. He's chinny a little bit. He's only been knocked out a handful of times, but he gets hurt every fight. He's got that hard. He comes back. He battles back. I think if he gets hurt against Demir, who got kind of embarrassed his last fight, I mean, he stood there with Morcano. was like, hey, why didn't we fight longer? It's like, <laughs> he got choked out in 40 seconds. Not, it's not his fault that he choked you out, but... This guy's hungry. He's looking for a win, and, and I like his skills a little bit better, and I, I like his chin a little better as well. Um, I see a lot of cappers liking Yancey at that plus number. I can't blame him. I, I, I don't run from plus numbers, but I think the value side is on Demir here. I, I like the I like the low number, even as, though it's a minus little, you know, little small chalk there, but I like it. It's still a fight I'm going to play as well. Um, you know, I'm a straight wager guy, so I'm probably going to play uh, a little less than a unit on uh, Demir, but um, – yeah, it's a fight I'm interested in. It's definitely a tough fight. I like these fights that are kind of challenging because we haven't seen Yancey in a while, and Demir hasn't shown up too much in the octagon, but he does have skills. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm siding with Demir here. I think Craig brought it up in terms of the fight last week with Lando Venata and Mike Grundy. It reminds me of the same thing, right? I'm kind of confused in terms of which way I truly want to go. Ultimately, I do end up on the Demir side. I do think he has a little bit more power in his hands. I do think he can land a little bit more effective shots on the feet. I think Yancey's best way to win this fight is if he gets that jujitsu going, if he gets this fight to the ground, but I just don't trust him to land those takedowns at will as most people expect he would be able to, but I just don't think he'll be able to do that. I think on the feet, he's going to be outmatched in terms of the power that's going to be coming his way, and I think that's going to be a big part of this fight i think the sneaky play in this fight might actually be the under two and a half around that plus 110 mark i could see some violence in this fight we know yancey doesn't shy away from trading in the pocket and that's not something you want to do against a guy like demir hadzovich so yeah ultimately i will be on the demir hadzovich side as well and it seems almost like we have a unanimous decision all around here all right 
Let's move on to the next fight. We got David Dvorak taking on short uh, notice, super short notice, Mr. Juan Camilo Ronderos. We got my guy Dave Melhouse. I'll let you kick this one off. How are you feeling about our guy Juan Carmilo making his UFC debut? I don't feel very good about it. I never heard of him until today, and I watched some film on him. And uh, got to be honest, I wasn't overall impressed. He's got a 4-0 record, and his last two fights, I thought he got dominated, and he somehow won. So um, his fight with Eric Shelton, like he got a split decision victory, but I thought he was just controlled, outgrappled basically the whole fight. Uh, out jabbed like I, I really don't know how you score that against him and then the fight before um what is it matt elliott is that tim yeah. elliott's brother uh this guy fucking crushed him he, every second of that fight until he broke his arm was all matt elliott and these guys aren't good fighters like i think this is a big step up in competition like i like dvorak i actually i bet him in the fight that got canceled um and i think like he's He's going to crush this dude. He's, he's probably the better grappler. He's way better standing. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think this is even competitive slightly. It's really hard to put a number on, though. You know, I like to dig through some data and some stats and, and watch film and kind of piece them together, you know, like if everything lines up. Yeah, I don't know. If I can get this under minus 500, I'll consider it. I'll, I'm very interested in seeing the props on it because I will say – this one guy seems to be able to take a shot and uh, very quick to grapple. He's going to want to close distance and grab. And ultimately, if you can take some shots and waste enough time, um, Dvorak's not overly aggressive. He likes to reset and reset and keep his distance. More so point fight. So I can see this one going to decision. And I think often when a guy like this uh, Juan comes up here, I think there's a lot of a lot of people thinking it'll be a finish. Like if you want Dvorak, oh, Cut the juice with inside the distance. Um, in my opinion, I think this has a reasonable chance of going the distance. So I'm interested in seeing the lines they put up. But um, yeah, nothing yet. Minus 550, 500 is just, I'll wait it out. Juan Carmelo is one of those guys like Justin James that benefited from being a Vegas guy, right? UFC in this COVID era looking for those short notice opportunities and extreme couture guys, syndicate MMA guys, guys that are based out of uh, Las Vegas. They're probably just trying to stay close to their weight class so that they could potentially take a short notice fight. And luckily for Juan Carmelo, 4-0, nice and young in his career, he gets to step in here against David Dvorak. Brian, how are you feeling about Carmelo? Uh, you know, he missed weight by two and a half pounds on the, on, the, on the scale as well, but you can't really blame him given the short notice nature of this fight. How do you think he matches up against David here? Not good. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. Juan Camilo got this fight because he's in Vegas and he was close to weight, right? He missed weight. Can't blame the guy. 128.5, I think he was. Yeah. Um, but he's a stream couture guy. They got good relationship with the UFC. Same as a syndicate MMA, just like you said. And he was just a call-up. He's game. He's ready to do it, right? His Eric Shelton fight was not impressive. Eric Shelton's a really awkward guy to fight. Made it to the finale, I believe, close to the finale in the Ultimate Fighter. Um, just an awkward wrestler style for for 125. I was all over Dor uh, Devo uh, David Dorvac uh, over Ruben Paya. Um, Paya's a solid dude. They have like literally the same exact record. It was a very close fight, but I think David, these Czech Republic guys, they're coming up. They're on to something here. And Dvorak is is interesting. I think he's really good everywhere. And uh, it's it's a bad matchup for Juan Camilo. Um, Dave hit it on the nail. He's gonna he's gonna want to throw some heavy shots. Try to close up. That's just not going to be enough for Dorak. I mean, we, we got a question of cardio as well, taking a fight on literally 24 hours notice, if you want to call it that. Um, don't know how much the weight cut was. If you couldn't make weight, it, it might have been brutal on him. But uh, and only four fights in, too. Four fights is just not a lot against a guy who's 19-3 and three 
who at 125, it's it's a little thin there. He could be fighting for the title in two fights. I mean, you know, with with the way things are shaking out. So I'm heavy on Dorvac here. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna bet him because he is high, but I mean, it, it it's almost a guarantee. Like they broke it down with the numbers. Like if you're if 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 we're 90 percent sure he should be minus 900. If he's 500, might take a stab at him. Might open up the old wallet and really really <laughs> lay some chalk. But uh, yeah, I think this is a slam dunk. I think Dorvac is is he's very good. I've been high on him for a little bit. I feel bad. Everybody that I've been speaking to this whole week, they're like, I'm on Dvorak. I'm on Dvorak against Holly and Paiva. I'm like, I'm the only guy on Paiva here. What, what am I not seeing? But yeah. <clears throat> just like his Magulov, I thought that Paiva was a dark horse in this 125-pound division, and I would have loved to see him actually go out there and compete. Full transparency, I told the guys before the broadcast, I haven't actually even looked into Juan Carmelo in terms of tape. I've kind of just looked at the record. I wiki-capped him, if that's what you guys want to call him. Uh, 4-0 record, like these guys are talking about. 9-0 on the amateur scene, too, which shouldn't be uh, something that you guys look over. That is definitely something that you guys should definitely uh, pay attention to. <clears throat> he, he had that amateur record. Uh, his last fight in the amateur scene was in 2017, took 2018 completely off, and then went 4-0 in 2019. You don't often see that where fighters are getting four fights within a, within a calendar year, and then obviously ending it with a, a win, albeit a split decision, win over a former UFC fighter in Eric Shelton. That does at least put you on the radar of the Sean Shelby's and the Mick Maynard's, and maybe they're already circling this guy as potentially somebody to bring inside to the UFC. But based on what Dave and, and Brian are saying in terms of the tape, they probably shouldn't be bringing this guy in because he was apparently getting whooped on the regional scene before getting the, the judge's decision. So the, the interesting thing here is Dave and Brian both brought it up, and I'll pose this question to you, Craig. The fight doesn't go to decision is minus 160. Does David come in there and absolutely molly up this guy and just show, okay, there's levels to this shit, or do you think he goes out there and uh, takes it to a decision? It's going to be a weird fight, right? Because getting ready for Dvorak and Paiva, you look at David Dvorak's Instagram and he's hanging out in Texas. He's at the Canelo Billy Joe Saunders card because one of his teammates is boxing. And then he's in California getting ready for it. And then you go back even further. You look at his last fight or his last couple of fights. He's trained a little bit in the States. So then you go to Ron Daros's Instagram 35 weeks ago. There's a picture of him and David Dvorak yeah. training at Extreme Couture. I feel like it's going to be a really weird fight. And yeah, are they going to play touch butt in the park? Probably not. But there, it's going to be a competitive one. I just, yeah, I don't really see a finish in this one. David Dvorak's incredibly well-rounded. He's one of those guys coming into the UFC, fighting a halfway decent level of competition over in Europe. You could tell that this guy was something special. I made the cheap comparison this week, the whole Czech Republic connection that Yuri... He was so good before he came into the UFC and knew exactly how good he could be in the UFC. David Dvorak was another one of those fighters that I get excited about. And like you said, with Holly and Paiva, that was such a tight fight, right? I mean, Paiva is such a good striker. Dvorak's so well-rounded. And then I look at Juan Camilo uh, and I just, I don't know. He's relentless. He has good pressure. If he doesn't get the takedown, he backs off really slowly and he gets hit a lot. And when he does get the takedown, He's all right. Like he's he's a good fighter, but I I you know a four and old guy taking on a very complete martial artist in Dvorak. I've got Dvorak. Like it was said earlier. I, again, where the lines at right now? Is there some value? Maybe if if you like it to go the distance for sure. Uh, but yeah, I've got Dvorak all day. 
I don't blame you. He, he didn't even by missing weight, he'd even look in the greatest shape, to be honest. Like 128.5 misses by two and a half pounds, but it looked like he was really struggling to get down there as well. So we'll see how he actually performs once he gets into the cage tomorrow night. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. And I can't believe they changed it up on me last minute and I can't even get this guy's name down anymore. So I'm still gonna go with Elon Shaw. He's going up yeah. against uh our guy Joshua Koulibau here. I'll try to hammer this guy's name overnight and then get it right on my uh fight day live chat that I'm gonna be doing. But for now, we're gonna go with Elon Shaw. I'm hoping that Craig or one of you guys don't try to show me up by saying his full name here. <laughs> I see, I see it bringing it on, but I will actually let Brian kick this one off. <laughs> you gonna attempt that last name? Uh, Buddy, you, you, you don't have to worry about me. I butcher I butcher the last name Smith. I can't pronounce shit. Um <laughs> how do you no, feel about but, this fight? Yeah. I you know, Kalabau impressed me when his short notice call up against Jalen Turner. I know it was a loss. Yeah. And then Charles Jordan, who I actually like, I think he's an interesting striker. He's a tough dude. He's in shape, and I ended up in a draw, regardless of the way you how you thought the fight went. Um, I thought that was impressive on his second second stint here against Shaw. Listen, you know the Chinese fighters are zero and five in their last pay per view event against Wei Li, the Wei Li Zhang card, um, or zero and four. I can't remember the number. And this guy just hasn't really jumped off to me. You know, Rong Shu, who fought in the UFC or fought on the pay per view. He knocked this guy out. This guy's more of a grappling base. I didn't look up a ton of tape on him. I couldn't really find a ton on him. But um, they, they had a little bit of heat too. But cool about minus 250. I don't know if I'm willing to risk that considering I me mean, really doesn't have a win in the UFC yet. I mean, he's winless. Essentially, even though he's looked good, he doesn't have a win. But if you look at the props, I mean, I, by decision, cool about he doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to come out there and finish everybody. He's a young fighter. He's 8-1-1. One one. So uh, decisions like plus 120, which I don't hate. Um, but I just think he's going to, you know, eventually just kind of take over the fight. It's going to be kind of a slow roll. It's going to be competitive. Shaw's going to come out. He's going to try to grapple. He's going to try to get in his face. He's going to be competitive. They're going to change on their feet. And then slowly Kulabao, who I think is the more technical and skilled fighter, is going to take over the fight. I'm seeing a decision here. Uh, but, yeah, minus 250 is just a little steep for me for a guy who really doesn't have a UFC win yet. Yeah, I find it hilarious when you get those scenarios where it's like, plus 200 in his prior two fights and then he comes into his next fight against a ufc debutante as the minus 250 chalk now yeah. and you know i'm not saying it's not justified or anything like that but i will say this i think the line on the the jordan fight and you can definitely say it in hindsight that line was a little bit too wide to begin with and i'm a huge charles jordan guy like i've been following mm -hmm. this guy since his amateur senior i'm like i know the guy's talented but we're getting a little bit far too ahead of ourselves in regards to like his win over duho Choi. after he knocked out Choi, he went on this skyrocket ship where he's just like okay he's going to be the next big thing but i'm saying pump the breaks and we were quick to see that afterwards when he was having a tough time in his uh, next fights um the Koulibao fight again we saw a lot of good things from Koulibao in terms of going out there and actually showing they have some good power in his hands some good combinations some good pressure as well too which I think ultimately got to Jordan but then it was starting to slow down the gas tank started to wear a little bit I will say this though he looked damn good on the scales this morning. I thought Joshua Kulibar mm -hmm. looked the best he's ever looked on the scales, and I think that's going to play into his fight here against Yilan Shah. Um, Yilan Shah definitely has more experience when it comes to professional fights, but the level of competition is very sketchy. Not to mention, the only name that really pops off to you is Zhu Rong, who obviously did uh, make his UFC debut at UFC 261 and came up short against Rodrigo Vargas. But in terms of stylistically how they match up, I think the power punching and combinations of Koulibao is going to catch up to the, kind of the wide stance style of Yilan Shah and how he brings that. And in terms of like landing takedowns and getting some ground and pound off, which is, I think is a really good part of Yilan Shah's game, I think he's going to struggle to get Koulibao down here long enough to actually get that game going. So ultimately, I'm going to be going with Koulibao, but I'm not trusting him at minus 250 at this 
point in time. Let's see him actually get a dub inside the UFC before we start putting that minus 250 price tag on him. And uh, yeah, even though that Shaw seems to have uh, the experience and the guy looks like he's in really good shape and it seems like he could go out there and, and really have a good performance. But I do think that Kulibau is eventually going to you know start to crack him, uh, start to wear on him. I don't know if he'll get the finish. I'm ultimately going to go with decision, but I do like Kulibau here, and I think we'll see a leveled-up version of him. Uh, Craig, how are you feeling about this one? Give me that last name. Drop that last name on me. Uh, so, Shailan Nordambeki. Uh, hey. And so, for Shailan, if you want – if you – like, this is a notice to everybody. I'm not being a dank, and I hate to steal the thunder. But if you take the characters from Topology, you put them on Google, you get a lot of sketchy Chinese websites that you've never seen before, oh, yeah. click on them. Start clicking on them, and you'll find those videos. And I watched the Ju Cheng King promotion, which was the, the promotion he was with for his last two fights. And it's really good. It's great. Like, it's a really good production value. And for Sha Yilan, you look at the way this guy fights, his striking's not quite there. Like you said, he's got that really wide base. He kind of creeps his way in gets into the clinch, gets a takedown, gets in guard, and then stacks. And you look at the way that his opponents are up against the fence, and I sit there, and again, in hindsight, I yell at my computer, why can't you just stand up? Like, this guy's not really applying a ton of pressure. Just stand up. But he's fighting guys that are 2-5, and five, and you can't yeah. really hold it against them. So, to me, I mean, I've got a whole page on this one. I'm not going to slight the PI um, in Shanghai. All I have to say is, yeah, th this guy has an extensive record. It might not be against the greatest level competition for Kulibau. Like you said, the line in terms of his fight with Jordan, I, I, I kind of understood it because he looks so poor against Jaleel Willis. You don't really know how much he can take into effect some hex fights. So I looked at that one. All right. It is what it is. Honest to goodness. Went back and watched that fight. I thought Kulibau won it. Thought he won the first round. Thought he won the second round. Had the third round 10-9 for Jordan. So take that as it is, but I love his striking. When he switches over to southpaw, if you have a brain, you know he's going to throw a high kick or he's going to throw it to the body, so you got to kind of watch out for that. But who knows how much uh, tape study they've done on him. Uh, yeah, but I, I really like Kalibau in this spot. He's what, like a minus 250, minus 260? Yeah. It's the first leg of tomorrow's question mark kicks parlay. That's how much I like him. So, Ooh, yeah, damn, big Kalibau guy here. That's that's some big confidence and shout out to Craig for that Jordan French role on the Jordan. I love it. I love it. I love it. We miss you. <laughs> uh, Dave, I'll let you finish this one off. And also, I do want to say this. Shout out to the tape index. Self-plug right there in case you're looking for tape on Yilan Shah. We got that shit up on there. Dave, uh, bring this Hell one home. Yeah. Uh, you guys nailed it, I think. Um, I, I, I like Kalabao, but I don't know what the line should be. It's kind of confusing. There's not enough experience, not enough data. Um, but I did think his fight with Jordan um, might have gone the other way. I thought perhaps um, I'm with Craig here. I think he might have won that fight. And if you can beat Jordan or even draw him, I'd have to imagine you can win this fight. Um, yeah, Shaw, he just he's going to make it ugly, try to grind on you. But, um, yeah, th I think this is more like a good fight to watch, to learn, not to have a strong, strong opinion of. A couple, uh, couple newbies. It'd be nice to see them uh, test some metal here. We'll find out what Kalabau's made of. If he loses this, he's he's probably gone, right? Um, so, yeah, interesting that he's a big favorite, but I think he probably should be a big favorite. If you look at what what do you think Charles Jourdain would open up against this guy? Minus 500? I mean, you're probably getting a bit of value on Kalabau. For sure, for sure. I, I'm hoping that we see a really good leveled up version of Koulibaly as I do think that this is a good stylistic matchup for him. Speaking of stylistic matchups, we just saw Valerie Laredo take her first loss in Bellator. Ooh. 
She got the upset uh, decision by Hannah Guy or Guy if she is French. Regardless, uh, yeah, hype machine for Bellator does not work out tonight. And that was a big favorite as well, too, right? I believe uh, Valerie Laredo was in that minus 500 range. People are thinking automatically that she's going to pull off the dub. Uh, minus 420. So close enough. I love that number, by the way. Anyway, let's get on to the next fight here. We got uh, Victor Rodriguez against Bruno Silva. I love me some Bruno Silva on this spot. I'll kick this thing off. Again, another safe spot, I think, at that super chalk line. Throw him and Nismagulov together. I know it still might be over minus 200-ish. You can probably find something later on this card to throw into there as well. But I think Bruno Silva cruises here, man. I think that we're going to see what a middling 125-er versus a high-level Alaska FC prospect is going to look like and what the level of difference is in terms of their skill set. Because Victor Rodriguez, in my opinion, does not deserve to be in the UFC. I'm sure he's a great guy. You know, I, I don't want to shit on him uh, personally or anything like that. But I do don't think that skillfully he'll go out there and uh, compete with Bruno Silva here, right? Let's give him a little bit of uh, uh, slack in terms of his last fight against Adrian Yanez. I believe he came in on short notice, came up a weight class as well, gets completely smoked. Now he's coming down a weight class, 125 pounds. This is probably where he really wants to be. And now he's going up against a guy in Bruno Silva who, you know, had a very tumultuous start to his UFC career. He gets that no, or he loses to uh, Kalita. That fight gets uh, turned to a no contest. Then he goes on to lose his next two fights against David Dvorak, who we spoke about a little bit earlier. And then to Ulan Bekov, who I had him on a, a couple of tickets on that fight. And that was a close fucking fight. When I went to the judges, I was like, ooh, I might, uh, I might have to rip up some tickets over here. But luckily, the judges come through for you, boy. And then even when I went to MMA decisions afterwards, uh, I was surprised to see the amount of Ulan Bekov scorecards. I was like, okay, maybe I, I wasn't just watching it the, the closest and Ulenbekov actually deserved that regardless Bruno Silva made a really good account of himself especially in his last fight against JP Bays where he was able to go into a war and eventually uh come out on the other end uh in that second round with a beautiful knockout victory great fight there uh but it definitely shows us the medal that uh Mr. Bruno Silva brings to the table great jiu-jitsu great wrestler obviously working the right fight ready uh you see him often in Henry Sudo's corner when we used to see him fight um you know, very well coached for sure. Fight Ready does not get enough credit, in my opinion. Uh, though they don't have many fighters that truly come out of that camp outside of Suhudo, Bruno Silva, Tracy Cortez is another fighter that comes out of there. But Bruno Silva really shows all the chops, and I think he has everything uh, to to all the skill to go out there and dust Victor Rodriguez early in this fight. I even took a little bit on the under two and a half at minus one sixty, as I believe I don't think this is going the full fifteen minutes. I think Bruno Silva wins. Pretty much any way he wants. The last time I felt this strongly about a fighter was Ricky Simone against Gaetano Perello back in January. But for some reason, the only shot that I took there was Ricky Simone to win in round one. And that blew up in my face because I was just not giving Perello enough uh, respect over there. So I'm not making that mistake th this time. I'm putting Silva in a couple parlays. I'm taking the under two and a half. And as soon as Intertop's released inside the distance line, I'm going to be hammering that as well too. I really like Bruno Silva in this fight. And I think the sneaky prop here though is the plus 500 on the sub line, I'm kind of surprised that that's uh, how high it is. They're thinking that he's going to go for the knockout more. So I think we'll get a sloppy takedown attempt from Victor Rodriguez here, and he'll find himself in a guillotine or something like that. Craig, give me some more credence on Victor Rodriguez, or am I correct in thinking that Bruno I, Silva should smoke him? I watched so much Victor Rodriguez tape for that Giannis fight. And I was so critical. Normal. Okay. So, you know, behind the curtain inside baseball, normally we go, Hey, fighter A is good at this fighter. B is good at this. This is who we think is going to win. We're nice guys. YouTube, but man, Victor Rodriguez. And I, this could be MMA takes. I hate to steal your thunder. This could be MMA takes exposed. 
I think Victor Rodriguez is one of the worst fighters in the UFC. You watch this guy's regional tape. He's an all-or-nothing fighter that beat some very poor competition. You watch the guy walk into one of his fights in sweatpants, a purple belt, and like Dunlops. Hey, cool, man. Cool. Like if that's what the style is in Alaska, it's also the style here in New Brunswick. But yeah, I, I have a really hard time, uh, you know, taking Victor Rodriguez and Bruno Silva, jujitsu black belt, trains at fight ready. If you squint and you kind of put your fingers in front of your eyes, he looks a little bit like his teammate Patricio Pipple in the in the octagon. I don't think that's a huge stretch. I love all of his game. And like you said, Man, it was a bit of a heart stopper there, that Tagir Ulanbekov fight, waiting for that decision. I'm surprised so many people had it for Ulanbekov. I like Silva in the spot quite a bit. Uh, I don't have him in any parlays just yet, not to say that I don't throw him in tomorrow, but uh, yeah, I, I really like Silva in the spot. There's a few guys that are made their way to the UFC that I was just like, I'm probably going to fade them in every single fight. Cyril Asker, if you guys remember Cyril Asker from back in the day, that's one guy that I would always want to go out there and fade. And Victor Rodriguez has definitely added his name to that list. And I expect uh, Bruno Silva to do some work this weekend. Dave, how are you feeling about uh, Victor Rodriguez and Bruno Silva here? I, I'm just like an echo chamber. You guys nailed it. I don't think it's going to be very competitive. Um so yeah, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look more into Bruno Silva. Hopefully, get a little bit of beer money action. Um, but if the line wants to come down a touch, then maybe it's <laughs> hammer time. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I think you guys nailed it. There's really just not much to say in this one. He's much better everywhere. If you see that line come down at all, I'd be very freaking surprised. Whoever is putting their hard-earned money on Victor Rodriguez needs to get uh, a little bit of a checkup. Brian, you putting money on Rodriguez? Should I be eyeing you up right now, or do you like I Bruno Silva here? <laughs> Let me tell you so I feel upset that we got four smart brains and we haven't picked a dog yet. Listen, I <laughs> I love dogs, right? I want to pick them, but Victor Rodriguez, I said this when he fought Adrian Nez. I was like, listen, I'm gonna cut this guy some slacks. He's taking a short notice, but Alaskan fighters, and I'm not throwing shots at shot at my Alaskan brothers, but they're just not good. They're not quality yet. Jaron Cannonier is the only one that came from over there, but now he's in Arizona. They just don't have like they, they put on a lot of fights, they love fights, but they're not bringing talent over he got the shot was a tough durable guy i guess and the inez knocked him out no okay sure adrian Nez is a fucking savage you got bruno silva i was on the jp bay side i was the idiot that picked jp bays i was the one that fell in love with his contender series i was like oh this dude's a good grappler he's got a high motor bruno silva beat him everywhere and it really opened my eyes bruno silva guy i was sleeping on i sleep on that camp a little bit i'm not a huge pit bull guy i think they're good i think they're a little overrated they run their mouths a little bit but there's no doubt about it that that team are a bunch of savages, and Bruno Silva is striking, is on point. Craig said it. He does remind me a little bit of the Pitbulls when he strikes. Very powerful. And you stole right out of my mouth, Locke, when you said plus 500. I think that's crazy. I think Victor Rodriguez is going to get tuned up in there. I think he's going to get scared a little bit. I think his instincts are going to kick in. He's going to want to shoot on the legs, and then his next is going to get taken. I'm hammering plus 500. I'm, I'm throwing Bruno Silva in every parlay that I'm going to do. I'm betting him straight. I don't care the line. I, this is my lock of the night. This is a guy I'm very, very confident. I think you can put multiple units on this guy. I think this is just there's levels to this and this is a big levels right now so yeah Earlier in the week, I did actually make the parlay of Demir's Magulov and Bruno Silva. I got minus 166, so I got 500 to return about 300 bucks there. I think that's a solid spot right there, to yeah. be honest. And shout out to Craig Allen for uh, hitting in the hitting up the, the private chat to let us know that this is actually the first time that Victor Rodriguez is down at 125 pounds. That is absolutely correct. Go ahead. 
like he weighed 133 for his fight against Yanez on 11 days notice. Then you go back and look through and he's fought a Bantamweight. He's fought a Featherweight. Like, what? Are, who are we? Cody Garbrandt here? What are we doing? <laughs> it's unnecessary. Exactly. It didn't seem like he struggled to make the weight either. Uh, and again, you, you can probably get away fighting a weight class or two above your true weight class up there in Alaska FC. The last thing I'll say about Victor Rodriguez, if you guys run the tape, you'll see and uh, one of his events. I forgot which one it was, but they're literally fighting inside a WWE ring outdoors in alaska everybody's huddled up in fucking big uh, coats and uh, you know got the fire going and these guys are half naked fighting each other in the middle of a ring literally with the referee that has that black and white striped shirt of a referee which freaking cracked me up like no other but that's the type of competition that victor rodriguez was going up against back then all right bruno silva all around here i'm glad that everybody can agree and nobody wants to throw a wrench into my plans of putting my mortgage on bruno silva anyway let's get to the next fight here we got claudio silva going up against court mcgee very intriguing fight in terms of a line here we got court mcgee coming in at minus 110 plus 100 ish for claudio silva craig i'll let you kick this one off brother so court mcgee's name is somewhere on that poster and that poster is the last time that court mcgee ever won a fight uh which is really tricky for me in this one i i honestly don't have a great read on this fight you know court mcgee what's he gonna do he's gonna stand real stiff he's gonna pump a jab he's gonna walk forward is he gonna kind of try and throw in some of his wrestling maybe but you're gonna have an awfully hard time against claudio silva and for claudio silva he didn't look very good his last time out against James Krause, which is tricky because it's a guy that doesn't fight very often. He's up there in age. He has the win over Leon Edwards and all everything's great. I just really struggle with this one. I'm eager to hear what the other guys have to say because for me, I, I do have Silva in this spot, but it, it's such a tricky fight for me that uh, you know I would not throw. It, it's, it's a fight night picks pop and popcorn type of fight if I've ever seen one. I love it. Dave, how are you feeling about this fight? <clears throat> Not very good, but I would lean towards Court McGee. I think he's the better striker. He's fought the better schedule and accumulated those stats through a better schedule. Um, and he's landing, you know, about one strike per minute more than his opponents. And Silva's about even. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think this is a bit of a step down for Court McGee. I think he's got a pretty reasonable chance of slightly outlanding this one. But ultimately, I think that line's pretty good, you know. I, I don't see any need to line up for this coin flip. It's lined appropriately. Uh, Brian, how are you feeling about this scrap? <sighs> this was a tough one because Claudio Silva, as I said on my podcast, he gets gas taking a shirt off, getting to the cage. This guy's <laughs> cardio is atrocious, and Court McGee's cardio is fantastic. The one holdup I have is Court McGee fought so dumb against Carlos Condit. Everyone knows the blueprint of fighting Carlos Condit. You take him down. He's no takedown offense. He just stood up and struck with him. Carlos dropped him towards the end of the fight. It was a close fight. It was a Court McGee fight. What are you going to do? He's only been finished once. Santiago Ponsonibio knocked him out. But for some reason, Claudio Silva, like when I was breaking this fight, I'm like, you know, the James Krause fight was, <clears throat> he got kind of embarrassed a little bit. Krause just stayed away from everything and he gassed out and, and it was what it was. But this guy's lights out on the ground, right? And I, I do have that, that old school sucker jiu-jitsu mentality where when a guy's lights out on the ground even though court's never been submitted when he's that lights out i'm like man and i'm looking at this claudia silva by submission at plus 400 crazier things have happened you know what i mean so i i think i'm gonna stay away from the money line it is it is properly lined i think court mcgee if, you, if you're gonna take a money line i, I probably will lean court mcgee because i do think he's just gonna out cardio him and just be just be safe in there clinch 
avoid the ground. But if you're taking shots and I want to take some shots, yeah, I, I mean, Claudius Silva by plus 400 by submission, which, you know, he can grab an ankle ankle lock. I mean, we, we see that happen all the time. And sometimes it's too late for guys to even know what the fuck's going on. So that's my pick. I'm picking Silva and I'm picking uh, by submission as well by plus 400. We got my guy Brian from half court with that minus four or plus 400 on the subline. I like it. And it's hard to go against that, right? The only thing that I would say as a caveat is the fact that uh, Cormac McGee never been subbed in his career, right? That's one thing that we have to look at. But the other thing I'll throw out there, I threw it out there in the, the show that I did yesterday with Cody. Who's another fighter that Cormac McGee's fought that has the level of jiu-jitsu that Claudio Silva has, right? So that there's two, two sides to that coin for sure. I am ultimately going to be going on the Cormac McGee side. No bet for me, though. You know, when you have a guy that has porous gas tank like Claudio Silva, I look to immediately fade them. But then when you see Cormac McGee, you know, 36 years old, starting to slow down, not really having the greatest performances in his career, you start to truly question, okay, is this guy worth to take the stab on? And especially when you've seen his last performance against Carlos Conda, you got to question his fight IQ, right? Zero takedown attempts. Zero. Big fat zero against Carlos Conda, who has almost negative takedown defense percentage. <laughs> I'm being a little facetious there, but still, like, you got to look at Carlos Conda fights and be like, the easiest way to beat this guy is take him, take him down. He might be dangerous off of his back, but he hasn't submitted anybody off of his back in years. But he decides to just go out there and strike with him, play the Carlos Condit game, and he goes out there and gets decisioned. Oh, I'm going to have fun for 50 minutes. How about the people that had money on you, my guy? How about the people that are hoping that you can, uh, your family that's hoping to bring home double your paycheck rather than half your paycheck? And, you know, Cormier probably just doesn't give a fuck at this point in time. And it is what it is. Here coming in against Claudio Silva, as long as he can stay away from the uh, the big jiu-jitsu game, I think he could kind of cruise on the feet here. Claudio is very reckless on the feet, big shots because he doesn't care about being taken down so he can get his jiu-jitsu going but court mcgee is going to have to be very diligent in terms of how he approaches this in the striking realm don't overextend don't allow yourself to get taken down and when you're in the clinch positions make sure you're safe double underhooks push him up against the cage you know dirty boxing whatever you need to take ask this guy out does it does court mcgee have that extra gear to potentially finish him because of the the bad cardio issues i'm not 100 sure on that either it's been a long time since we've seen him finish anybody if i'm not mistaken it was over six years ago against ryan jensen it's it's not going to cut it nowadays, right? Even with the poorest gas tank like like Claudio Silva, uh, I was happy to cash on James Cross last time against Claudio Silva. I thought that was a great stylistic matchup. Just stay away from the ground game as easily as he did and get his game going that way. So good good win for him. But again, Cormier should be able to replicate that. Uh, might be slightly slower than James Cross. Not might not be as technical as James Cross, but he should still be able to go out there and grind this fight out and uh, keep it on the feet and win a decision here. So I will ever so slightly lean on the Court McGee side, but Court McGee's not getting my money in 2021, let's be honest. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, Big Ben Rothwell taking on short notice Chris Barnett. Dave, I'll let you kick this one off, brother. Well, this is going to sound pathetic because it's more chalk, but like I love Ben Rothwell at this price. It's nowhere near high enough. He's got well above an 80% chance of winning this fight. It's not lined anywhere near that. I don't get it. He's a good striker. You know, he's, he's fought some good heavyweights, and when you fight good heavyweights, you don't necessarily look as good, right? Uh, when you fight Chris Barnett, I think you're going to look pretty good. The guy's 5'9". He's got a bit of power, but, like, that's about it, okay? Ben's going to come in, put the pressure on him, use his reach. He's got seven inches of height, and when you bend into those, like, he can hit him from pretty far away. And I think he's just going to piece him up. If we want to look at what Ben Rothwell did in his last fight, the guy threw 134 significant strikes in round one, 93 in round two. 
When I'm watching the film on Chris Barnett, he's throwing a couple. He's taking like a full jump-in jab. You know, there's no combos. There's not a whole lot going on. Um, so I think Ben's just going to piece him up. And, you know, we'll find out how tough uh, Chris Barnett is. But uh, I think something sneaky might actually be Rothwell by decision. Um, because he kind of slows down a bit as the fights go, too. I don't think there's basically any chance of Chris Barnett winning a decision because he's just going to be behind by so many strikes. That would be absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I'm seeing some Rothwell, like, plus 285 by decision. He probably knocks this guy out, but he might not. And he's definitely going to win this fight, though. Like, I, I don't think there's anything I'm more confident on than Ben Rothwell right now in this spot. Uh, I was really hoping I'd like Chris Barnett because he's kind of a fun guy, breakdancing at 300 pounds after victories. <laughs> but, like, this isn't this this isn't a guy you're going to be breakdancing on. You're not... Like, this is an ironclad chin of Ben Rothwell. Um, and he's not exactly fighting Marcin Tybora here or Ovince or even Stefan Struve kind of sucks, but the guy's 90 feet tall. This is like 5'9", 5'9", 265. You know what I mean, bro? I'm 5'9". This guy does not belong in there with, like, middle to top heavyweights. And uh, I think we'll find that out within the first two minutes of this fight. I think Ben... Just by domination. I don't know if he's going down or not, but I don't think there will be a minute of the fight where you think, should I should have bet Chris Barnett. No. <laughs> nah. the, the, the stare down was quite comical here in terms of the size difference between the guys. You definitely saw it right off the bat. Chris Barnett, last time around, weighed in at 300 pounds for his last fight back in September at UAE Warriors, but he gets the short notice call up here against Ben Rothwell. Brian, you giving a little bit more credence to, to Barnett, or you think uh, Rothwell's got this? About time we, we were going to disagree on something. Hey. Let's it up. Chris Barnett was the darling, the darling of these guys that loved him. Like, if he could make 265, this guy's so athletic, you know, Huggy Bear, everyone loved him. He's got a great personality, he's got a great style. Ben Rothwell has just come out flat to me. He just looks so flat. He's the bigger guy, he's the better guy, he's fought more guys. I just think. That if I'm going to take shots, there's not many dogs on this card that I love, right? I can't just pick all chalk. I'll help me. I hate myself. But when you get a guy like Chris Barnett, who's going to literally have to jump three feet to land a punch <laughs> on Ben Rothwell, there's going to be some power behind that. And I'm willing to go money line on Barnett, and I'm willing to go by knockout as well. I think it's the only way he wins. I think he's going to be a one-round, two-round fighter in this. Wrestling is not going to play a factor in this. Ben Rothwell is going to march forward. He, he's going to keep his, he keeps his head really far back was going to be impossible to hit. But Chris Barnett's a guy that like, I, I don't know. Like I was intrigued by him many million years ago. He knocked out Travis Wolf and everyone's like, Oh, this is, this dude's like legit. You know, every, 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 every like really hardcore MMA fan, they fall in love with guys over in Japan. They're like, if this guy can make it over here, they can make weight. He's, you know, he's legit, but you give me two fifty. What, what is he? He was at two fifty when I did the podcast. What is he currently? Sorry, 250 on DK on DraftKings. I don't know. Yeah, okay. 315. 315. Okay. So I like that even more. Um, I know it's crazy. I legitimately don't like a lot of other spots here, and I got to take some shots. You know, I'm not going to play it safe. And this is a fight that I I, I think Barnett, if if he doesn't get outclassed in that first round, and if he can land some shots, you know, hoping a prayer will get him. But let's mix it up. I'm I'm going against him. I love that Dave's so confident and Ben Rothwell. I'm going to go Barnett. Let's go. Let's mix it up. Let's do it. All right, all right. Unfortunately, I cannot agree with you, Brian. I got to go with uh, Ben Rothwell here. But with that said, uh, 
minus 310, minus 350 on uh, Rothwell is a little bit too crazy. I'm not going to trust Rothwell at this age, at 2021, 20, um, to go out there and beat a guy like Chris Barnett at a minus 300, minus 350 clip, right? Let's be honest about that. I think that's a little bit too crazy. The one thing I will point out about Chris Barnett's last fight he actually took on Ollie Thompson trainer, who was 0-0 at the time. He was scheduled to fight Ollie Thompson that night. And then in steps Ahmed uh, Shehu. I don't want to butcher his name there. But 0-0, and they dust him within a minute of that fight. Like, that, it was a complete mismatch right off the bat, just based on experience alone, right? You got 20-6, and six, Chris Barnett coming in against Short Norris, corner man, uh, 0-0 guy, uh, Ahmed there. So good one for uh, Barnett there to at least get uh, that, that three-fight winning streak going on, or four-fight winning streak, I believe. Uh, but... It, you guys nailed it on the head in terms of like the level of experience and the guys that he's fought on the regional scene, but losing to a guy like Alex Nicholson, who's like a career middleweight, not a really good look for a guy like Chris Barnett, uh, obviously much earlier in his career, he's fighting guys like Ollie Thompson, Travis Wolf, like you had mentioned, uh, Walt Harris has a win over Walt Harris back in 2010. Uh, so that's probably like one of his best ones, 2011, I should say. But the way that he styles up with uh, big Ben Rothwell here, I think he needs to knock him out to win. And we haven't seen Ben Rothwell get knocked out in, years now it seems like he has an ironclad shin at this point in time like dave miller also talked about and uh it, it's just his volume that concerns me uh, big ben rothwell he seems a little bit too gun shy at times especially in this point in time uh i, I believe it was after the stefan struve fight where he like repeatedly pieced him up uh down under and then eventually said okay now that i'm down around i need to hustle and get the finish and that's exactly what he did and he goes maybe i should always fight like i'm down one point but then you see his next two fights and he doesn't do it. So what are you, what, what are you learning from these fights, dude? And it wasn't a good look for Ben Rothwell either, getting pieced up by Stefan Struve at range, a guy who notoriously doesn't know how to use his range. So Ben Rothwell, in my opinion, has been on a decline for a long time now. Getting those wins over OSP and getting that win over Stefan Struve was a little bit of a gift. But I still do think he wins here against uh, Barnett because I don't think that Barnett brings much to the table in terms of winning a decision. I don't think he brings enough to the table in terms of knocking out Ben Rothwell. And I don't even think he submits him either. I've seen a couple of takes throughout the week that Ben Rothwell by submission is not a bad look. And I kind of agree with him, right? Rothwell has a very underrated submission game. Plus, uh, plus 625 now is what it sits at. 10-finger choke, 5-finger choke, whatever the hell it is, I, I, I'd be right there. I wouldn't mind that. So uh, I'm on Ben Rothwell here, not trusting him at the minus 300, not really going to throw him into any crazy parlays or anything like that, but I do think he gets his hand raised. Craig, I'll let you finish this matchup off. How are you feeling about it this one? Do we want to have fun or do we want to get serious? Because mm -hmm. I like Ben Rothwell's submission game, but there are a lot of defensive submissions, so Barnett's got to press the action, try and get the takedown. I don't see that happening. Uh, if you look at Chris Barnett and the way that the UFC's marketed him in the last couple of days it's the jean volante effect this guy's maybe not the best fighter but he's a lot of fun so we're just going to show him break dancing jean volante they never talk about his fighting when he goes out to fight this guy played football at hofstra <laughs> he's a great time he's on looking for a fight you guys should go follow him on socials and then he fights and it's like oh boy yeah this guy so for chris barnett it's fun to look through the record and see the 2020 that he could have had he was supposed to fight marcelo gom ollie thompson bigfoot silva jack may brett martin this year and none of them happened and he fought an o and o guy it's super heavyweight his last time out uh that's cool and then he had a kickboxing fight before that and then he beat tony lopez who hasn't fought tony lopez at heavyweight and kickboxing let alone mma so yeah i mean for chris barnett he's a ton of fun he has a really good gas tank for a guy that you know kind of similar to like Rafael alvish expends a lot of it where he just doesn't need to but if i look at chris barnett and the first thing i type in is from 2014 a bleacher report article that says this is the next heavyweight you need to see and we're seven years later 
I don't have him beating Ben Rothwell. I don't like Ben Rothwell 2020, 2019, let alone 2021, because he's kind of inconsistent. But yeah, I I, I got to go with Ben Rothwell on the spot. I like it. I like it. Again, price is a little bit too crazy for my liking, but I, I kind of understand it once you run the tape a little bit. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got my guy. Uh, oh, actually, this is the main card now. So shout out. We are finally made it to the main card. And just to remind you guys, it is a 7 p.m. Eastern start time for the main card. So don't get caught napping when these fights are going down. All right. First and foremost, we got Jack Romanza going up against Edmund Shabazian. This fight was scheduled to go down uh, last week, I believe it was. It gets pushed because one somebody from Jack Romanza's team tests positive for COVID and they get uh, they get pushed to this fight here. Um, Brian, I'll actually let you kick this one off. We got Jack or Edmund. Man, I want Edmund to win. I want some new blood at 85. 85 to me, you know, they lost Joel Romero. A lot of guys are getting kind of recycled. I want some new blood. Shabazzian was supposed to be it. Then he met Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson's like, no, 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 you're not it. Gas Tank obviously was an issue in the Darren Stewart fight as well. Seems like if he doesn't get guys out of there quick, it's going to be a problem. Hopefully, he learned his lesson against Brunson and has kind of fixed that. Hermanson coming off the Marvin Torrey fight where he got beat up a little bit. Looked okay, looked durable. But he played around on the feet too much. I think this guy's bread and butter is getting to the ground, getting on top, ground and pounding. I think he has some of the best top pressure and ground and pound in MMA. Um, he's that good. And I really love his chokes. He's got really slick guillotines, darces. Uh, he, I mean, he heel hooked uh, uh, Kevin Gauselum. I'm on Hermanson here. I'm, I'm taking Hermanson. Um, and, I, and I like it by finish. I like him to either win by TK or by submission. Again, I'm rooting for Shabazian. I mean, I don't like his head coach. I think he needs to kind of switch camps up a little bit. I think it's going to be a little stale there for a while. Great boxing. going to be a dangerous first round because Hermanson has proven that he can get rocked a little bit. He, he has a little bit of a chin issue. He battles back, but he can he can get clipped. Uh, but I just think he's too dangerous on the ground. I just don't think Shabazian has fixed enough cardio. He's a very young guy. And uh, I, I'm going to take, uh, I'm gonna take uh, Jack Hermanson here. And I like props. I like props heavy on this fight. I usually don't bet. Heavy props, but I, I think I'm going to do a little bit more in sprinkling. I think Jack Manson's going to get it done and, and get him out of there. Now, I was one of the few guys that was on Derek Brunson in that last fight against Edmund Shabazian, and I don't know why I'm not on Jack Romanson here. I actually feel like I'm on the uh, – not feel like I'm definitely on the Edmund Shabazian side here, as I do believe he'll – his striking will kind of differentiate him uh, with Jack Manson, who I don't think is the most comfortable on the feet, which is weird to say, especially with Derek Brunson, who doesn't look the most comfortable on the feet, but he did a good enough job in terms of stay staying safe in that fight, clinching up when he needed to, and then eventually getting the takedowns when he needed to and started grinding out Edmund Shabazzian en route to that third round finish. Shout out Herb Dean for letting me catch that third round prop because that fight probably should have been stopped in that second round. Let's be honest. <laughs> Appreciate you. Hey, yeah, yeah. Why do you? I thought I thought you knew something I didn't know. You went like this. I thought Herb Dean died. I was like, wait, what's going on? He's him? somewhere looking up. He's somewhere. He's somewhere. Okay, he's somewhere. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> shout, out, shout out Herb Dean. But uh, yeah, in terms of how these guys match up, I think Edmund Shabazzian has much better striking, much better power. I think he's faster on the feet. Great combinations. Good footwork. But the question mark is always always his cardio, which is ultimately why I'm not going to be taking a shot on him straight here, as I do think that his cardio will be the detriment to the rest of his career if he's not able to shore that up. 
I do think he has a really good chance of going out there and knocking out Jack Hermanson early here. And people are just quickly throwing Edmund Shabazi into the side after that Derek Brunson ticket or that fight because I'm sure they had a bunch of Edmund Shabazian tickets at that chalk line. And they're like, you know what? This guy lost one time. I'm never trusting this guy again. But we get caught up in that too quickly, right? There's I like to call it the Jacob Malkoon effect where you like you see him have a bad performance and they, everybody just throws him away. And now look what Jacob Malkoon did next time around against uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Not saying that Edmund Shabazian is Jacob Malkoon or anything like that, but I do think he's still has great uh hands uh great power in his uh hands and again he has a great all-around game right his wrestling game isn't that bad it's just when his cardio really starts to take effect that everything starts to deplete i think that he has enough in the tank here to go take out jack Hermanson early and then eventually you know knock him out i think that, that let me just quickly see what the props are here but uh i liked uh shabazian in round one which is currently sitting at uh, plus 450. I think that's a solid line. And then Shapazian by KO at plus 285. I think that's not uh, too bad of a line either. The one thing that kind of took me off guard a little bit, I keep underestimating how big Edmund Shabazian is. So when they squared off at the wins this morning, I was just like, holy shit, he's actually bigger than Jack Hermanson. I thought Jack was one of the bigger middleweights too. To sort of see him kind of square up with them nicely there too gives me a little bit more um, confidence to Edmund in terms of being able to stuff the early takedowns of Jack Hermanson, keeping this fight on the feet. Like, we all saw that Jared Cannonier fight for Jack Hermanson, right? When Jack wasn't able to get the takedowns, he started to, uh, you know, stress out on the feet. He started to get confused on the feet. That's where Jared Cannonier was eventually able to find that knockout blow. And I expect the same thing to happen here with Edmund Shabazian. I'm not sure what the ceiling on Shabazian is uh, as of yet, but this is a great way for him to get back into the, the winner's circle. And the last thing I'll say about this before handing it off to Craig is... Uh, when this matchup was initially announced, I was like, what the fuck? What is this? What's going on? Like, why would his manager set him up with a guy like Jack Manson after just losing to a guy like Derek Brunson, right? Not good matchmaking, in my opinion. But then you hear, like, his confidence. He's like, I still believe that I deserve to be up there with these guys. That was a bad performance on my end. I'm going to come make the or fix the mistakes that I made and show you guys that I still deserve to be up there with the big dogs. So, Great confidence from him. Great mentality. Let's see if he can go out there and execute. I think he is. I'm going to go round one. Edmund Shabazzian plus 450. Craig, talk me down. Am I am I a crazy man for being on Edmund here? Uh, not necessarily. Here, let's let's play like a trade tree type scenario. The the nine degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it is. So <laughs> Shabazzian looked great against Brad Tavares. Brad Tavares looked great against Shoeface. Shoeface looked great against Syndicate's Tom Lawler. Right? So just how good's Edmund Shabazzian? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> listen, again, I, I do, you know, you talk about the whole he's gassed in the past or that was the issue against Darren Stewart. Well, well yeah. then why didn't he fix it after the Darren Stewart fight? Then he went into the fight against Brunson and yeah, he got outstruck and he kind of got a little tired. And listen, he's still a young guy. Can he fix the cardio holes? I'm of the belief that you can get better cardio if you work on it. And he's been off for long enough that maybe he could. Uh, but until I see it, I can't believe it. I'm one of those people. I have to see it. If he proves me wrong in this fight, awesome, great. Do I have any action on it? No. Hermanson's what, like a minus 155 or thereabouts on the money line? So if you like him, go for it. If you like Shabazzian, early cool beans. But yeah, I, I actually gained some stock in Hermanson for striking his last time out against Vittori in a fight where, yeah, he kind of got mollywhopped a little bit. But Marvin's a great fighter. So I, I still like Hermanson quite a bit. The golden boy's still what 23 and a half he's yeah. young enough that he can still count half years so that's cool <laughs> shotokan karate background he's got the kicks he's got the power but yeah for me i i've got uh hermanson in this fight dave bring this one home for us who are you liking here this is one of the first ones i prioritized to research because i felt like the line had to be short on hermanson 
Man, I didn't like it as much after eating the film. I think uh, Edmund's got these hands that are a little underrated. They have some heat on them. Uh, he does gas himself out, and ultimately, by the time I was done this film sesh, I was thinking the under two and a half is pretty live. Oh, yeah. There's going to be some exchanges, and this can get to the ground, and if it gets to the ground, I think we know what happens, or at least can happen. But while it's on the feet, it's going to be sweaty. When they're on the ground, it's going to be sweaty. I don't know. That minus, or sorry, over or under two and a half is on some books, one and a half on some books. I don't know. If you can find a book with two and a half and a decent juice, I guess the best available right now is like minus 170 on that under. I think that's probably the best look. Um, but it would not surprise me to see either of these guys win inside the distance. Just straight up. I think uh, there's enough power in Shabazian's hands. Uh, and Hermanson is almost being disrespected here with the bump down in competition and a low line. It feels low, but maybe it's not, you know. Um, like I said, by the time I was done the film, I, I didn't like it anymore. But, um, yeah, under under two and a half, even the under one and a half with uh, some dog money, I think it's live. I think this is going to be some chaos. It'll be a good fight. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the fights I was actually looking at for uh, even prize picks for anybody that takes out or checks out prize picks. The under 10 minutes on this fight is something that I was very much looking forward to. And even uh, another prop for you guys, fight won't start round three, minus 145. I think that that's a very solid spot as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, Bill Aljo going up against Ricardo Hamosh. I believe we're right back to me in terms of breaking this fight down. Uh Another spot like the Holly and Paiva and David Dvorak fight where I felt like I was on an island here. I'm on Hikaru Hamosh as well. Not as a bet this time around, as I do feel like there are a couple other underdogs that I trust a little bit more. But I think this is a, you know, we kind of talked about in the Edmund Shabazzian fight. People are just automatically throwing Hikaru Hamosh to the side. Now, after he was seen as this bustling prospect coming into the UFC, the kid's only 25 years old, right? Let's cut the kid some slack. Very poor fight IQ moments in that uh, Lerone Murphy fight, throwing those weird sidekicks to the, to the shin. Not sure what he was trying to do there. Score points, damage. I don't know what he was doing, but regardless, it was completely pointless. And then even his uh, urgency off of his back and eating those freaking haymakers from Lerone Murphy to eventually put him out. Uh, not a good look from him. Uh, there either but I still feel like the guy has a lot to give here if his chin issues can clear themselves up he needs a little bit of work on his cardio as well that's something that I uh, hope that he would uh, go out there and shore up but to go into fights like uh, with uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov uh, as the favorite right like a lot of people had high high hopes for Ricardo Amos and the kid was still young at that point in time he got put away you know not a bad loss especially to a guy like Saeed uh, who I believe is a, is a top prospect in that division too uh, but then obviously that Lerone Murphy fight last time around has really diminished his value in a lot of people's eyes. Bill Algio, on the other hand, gets that big one over Spike Carlisle where he survives that first round and then starts to put it on him in the second and third round. But that's pretty much the blueprint to beat a guy like Spike, right? It's the blueprint to beat a guy like Abdul Razak Al-Hassan as well. It's the same thing. Survive that first round, you can get the second and third round in the bag. You get the judge's decision or you finish them late if that's something that you're able to do. However, uh, I, I think Hamosh here has the technical abilities to be the crisper striker. I think he has better leg kicks. I think he has better striking, to be honest. I think he's a great jiu-jitsu player. Aljo, black belt himself too, and don't get me wrong, but I think that Hamosh might have him beat on the ground if his cardio isn't completely zapped at the point in time that this fight ends up hitting the ground. But I do trust Ricardo Hamosh to at least get those first two rounds uh, and, and then run away with it. Or actually, Aljo will probably end up getting the third round and we'll still get Ricardo Hamosh winning a 29-28. But a close fight. Again, I completely understand why the line is where it's at, right? I believe uh, the last time I looked at it, we had minus 120 for Bill Aljo. It's starting to slightly come down, but uh, very, very close fight. I think Aljo might be slightly 
being overrated by most people due to his win over Spike Carlisle. Um, but we need to rein that back. We know what Spike Carlisle brings to the table. He can be Billy Quarantillo showed us the blueprint, and then Bill, jo Bill Aljo showed us the blueprint after. This is a completely different uh, monster in Hakaro Hamosh, and not to mention the guy spending time over there at Team Alpha Mel now to really uh, you know round out his game, hopefully work on that cardio a little bit better, uh, hopefully be you know fight IQ ready a little bit more uh, than he was in his last fight. But I do think he'll land the better strikes on the feet. I think he'll be a little bit more well-rounded in his MMA game and take home a decision victory over Bill Aljo as long as, one, his chin isn't completely shot, and two, his cardio doesn't completely fall off a cliff after that two-round mark. Craig, how are you feeling about this fight, brother? Remember when Ricardo Hamosh fought in, like, my American backyard on looking for a fight in Maine? NEF? How crazy is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's been years. Um, I love those shows. I go to every single one of them, and it's the cat's pajamas. But in a fight like this, Bill Algio to me was kind of like Josh Cullibau when he fought Charles Jodin. Yeah, man, I thought he looked all right against Ricardo Lamas until like the last round where it didn't go really his way. So for me, he gained a lot of stock in that fight. He gained even more stock in the fight against uh, Carlisle. You look at it; he's one of those guys. What is he fighting out of Algio's gym? I always kind of question that when you're fighting out of your own gym. It kind of scares me off a little bit. You either have tons of self-confidence or you're a master and you're like Joe Lozon. But I do like Bill Algio in the spot. Much bigger fighter than Hamosh. I kind of worry about the gas tank, like you said. He's one of those guys that'll just keep going to the well. And sometimes, like when he fought Zahabi, it works out great. Just keep throwing that spinning back elbow. Uh, but yeah, in the fight against Murphy, it really didn't. And some of those holes I kind of worry about. I really like the point that you made. It was a point that I had written down the team alpha male connection. There were, or are a lot of alpha male fighters on this card. Uh, but yeah, I, I still like the man himself, uh, Bill Algio. And I, I won't uh, fray from that. I had him what a couple of months ago when they were supposed to fight a month ago, yeah. whatever it was. And I, I still have him in the spot too. Uh, another guy that was training at Table Alpha in preparation for this card was Mr. Holly and Paiva, who doesn't actually get to show his skills tomorrow night. It doesn't make the scales this morning, but hopefully Ricardo Hamush makes uh, Team Alpha Mel proud. Dave, uh, how are you feeling about this matchup? You are muted, by There me. we go. Hey, let me put on my glasses. I'm going to have to say something smarter. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Hamush, I think, is the right side here. Uh, he's just, he's a little bit more fluid. He's got nice footwork. He, he moves around the octagon nice. He's got good kicks. And I think he's got the better wrestling. He's scoring himself two takedowns every 15 minutes. And he's doing with a 56% accuracy. Mr. Bill there, he uh, he's only in the 60s for his takedown defense. So if you really want him down, you want to chain wrestle or make a game plan of it, you can take him down. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a really close fight. I just, I think... Uh, you know, Ricardo Hamos, I always called him Ramos, but whatever. I'll give him a, a little bit of an accent this time. I just, I think this guy's got the higher ceiling. Like you said, he's young. He does some stupid stuff in there. I don't know what that, like, dance move leg kick thing he throws is behind his lead leg. Honestly, I kind of hope he gets his head knocked off doing that one day because it'll be a gift that I recycle for the next decade. <laughs> But it, I just think he's, yeah, he's higher ceiling, a little bit more fluid. It's going to be close in the strikes. I know Bill likes to bring the volume, but uh, that, you know, that opens you up to receiving more volume. So ultimately, yeah, I think this will be a higher output fight than most of the uh, Ramos fights. But yeah, if I had gun to head, I'd be picking him. And in fact, when this was booked earlier, I did pick him and I bet on him by decision that got canceled. And now you can say, I guess I have cold feet. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Brian, how are you feeling about this matchup? 
I love Aljo in this spot. I do. Um, Philly tough. I was impressed. He took the short a fight uh, against Hakan Ramos on short notice. Took that third round. Obviously, we we, we saw it. But it, it, on the Ultimate Fighter, or excuse me, the Contender Series fought Brandon Loganing and, and came up a little short. Was a little just outpointed in that. Um, and then obviously Spike Carlisle, which I don't read too much into it. I think Spike's kind of a one round fighter. He's not in the UFC anymore. Uh, he did what he was supposed to do. But this guy's just got the grit. I agree with Dave. I think Hamos is the more talented fighter. But this is one of those situations where I think the the the, the toughness of Aljo, the fact that he's not going to take a step backwards, and we've seen Hamos kind of fold a little bit under some pressure. He doesn't really have that super grit yet. I mean, Sahabi fight was the only one where he dug deep, bloody fight through that elbow. Other than that, he's been he's been kind of chipped away at and, and he's got to put away a little early. Um, and I'm all over Aljo here. I've been seeing Aljo being the star of MMA Twitter this week. Everyone's on Aljo. Uh, Algio, and I am too. I just think he's just going to keep a pace. I like it by decision. Algio doesn't have the the, the best uh, knockouts in the world. He could grab a submission or something, but I think the right play here is Algio by decision. Um, and, and if you want to play the overs too as well, I think by decisions and a plus number on DK right now. But um, yeah, I think Algio is, is a great spot here. I mean, Hamos, it's one of those things where MMA is so beautiful and crazy that the more talented fighter, doesn't always win. It's the guy that has that grit, toughness that's going to come forward. And I think that's Aljo. You know, I think, you know, he's training in Philly with Sean Brady, cross trains with Paul Felder a little bit. He's got some good partners. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all, all, all over Aljo here. I'm glad that we we got two for two. We're all split. Two homos, two, two Aljo. I love it. Go ahead, Craig. How good is Luis Eduardo Garagori and Journey Newsom? Like, I just, I can't, I love them. Again, fought in my adopted backyard. I miss my moxie sodas and, you know, everything else that Maine has to offer. But uh, I, I don't know. I just, I love Hamosh for what he represents. And I mean, yeah, but I Yeah, just, I thought I, you were taking a Hamosh just because of the flag, dude. Nah, hoist, hoist, that has no bearing over my picks here. All right, all right, all right. We'll go, we'll go with that. All right, next up, we got Felicia Spencer going up against another Brazilian here in Norma Dumont. Gave us a little bit of a scare at the weigh-ins because she took a little bit too long to get to the scales uh, to come in for a 145-pound fight. Luckily, uh, she even uh, tried to get the, the, the uh, box of shame women ready to bring that on over to the scale, but she hops on the scale and makes 146 without doing any issues. Uh, Craig, I'll actually let you kick this one off. How are you feeling about this fight i mean millhouse called out the boys of fight night picks this week in the comment section if i'm not mistaken on this fight i'm pretty sure he did um so straight up i started the video off by saying and i think i already said this once in the card but there's two fights that i'm really on the on the fence about the silva and mcgee fight and this fight because i actually kind of lend a little bit or i like i would think i can lend a little bit of credence into the fact that norma dumont while she didn't look good in that fight against megan anderson at 145, she had the long layoff, whatever. And yeah, she missed weight in the fight against uh, Evan Smith. She looked great in that fight. The clinch work is good. She's got the Sonda background. Her ground game, you assume, is half decent. Her striking's great. She's a really powerful striker. She's a really explosive striker. I like those things out of her. I think 45 is the weight class that the UFC would invest in it. Cool, cool. I think that'd be great. But... In this fight, I, I honestly, I have a really hard time with it. Felicia Spencer's kind of a clunky striker. She's got great grappling. Once it hits the mat, she's great. And she can take a beating. And I mean that with, you know, all sincerity. I mean, the fight against Cyborg, who we have fighting tonight, the fight against Nunes, didn't get finished. Great stuff. But, uh, yeah, I have a really hard time on this one. I took Spencer off of prior performances. But, listen, 
does that sound like a smart thing to say? No. So I'm, I'm right on the fence about this one. And if either three of you could make a very strong argument, you could honestly sway me. So I like to be as honest as I can. In terms of a, a legitimate prediction, though, gun to your head, what side are you on? Right now, Spencer, it could all change tomorrow. I'm serious. Okay. We're going with Spencer just for the sake of this podcast. Dave, uh, Spencer or Dumont, who are you liking? I like Norma Dumont. Here, let me just like actually read off the paper. I wrote a whole bunch of crap down. I'm going to miss half of it if I don't. So, uh, so Spencer, she's only lost to goats. We can fully agree on that. That's, you know, kind of what makes her so attractive uh, against you know, lower level prospects, I guess, like someone like Dumont, she's got a 10% takedown accuracy on paper, but that's because she went 0 of 15 against Cyborg and Nunes. Okay. She went two of four against the other two girls, but Zara can't stop a takedown and is literally like a dead fish off her back. Megan Anderson, same exact problem. So now she's only lost to two goats, but she's only beat two absolute grappling chumps. And I'm not sure what that means. So I like Felicia Spencer as a fighter, but I just don't think, honestly, that she's that great because I just haven't seen her fight anyone in between the bottom and the top. And this is going to be a good test uh, coming up right here. So if we split Spencer's stats off and we take away Nunes and Cyborg, the girl is 62 strikes for, 16 strikes against. That's pretty damn good. Two takedowns, zero against. Four minutes control time, zero against. She bumps herself up to a 65% accuracy on her striking, 53% defense. That's a plus 18%. Suddenly now she's like an amazing fighter. Well, that was against two shitty fighters, okay? And then we break that down even further and we see that her distance strikes were actually only 29%. Almost all the strikes she landed were ground and pound. When I look at Norma Dumont in her last fight, I thought she had crisp hands, good power, good technique, good distance control. I was very impressed. And I dug into her statistics, and we find that Norma's landing 51% of her significant strikes from distance. We go back and look at Felicia Spencer, not even close, right? Not even close. 29% against two bums, 51% for Norma Dumont. Um, she likes to reset. You know, she'll come in, land a couple of good strikes. Instead of going for the kill, she resets and stays in control. And that's, that's something that made me feel more confident in this fight because... If you're going to be winging it against Spencer, she's probably going to get a body lock on you or get you in the clinch. And now you've entered that area of negative variance, right? You don't need to knock Felicia Spencer out to win. And you probably can't because she is super durable. We've seen it. I don't even know how she's alive after those fights, but she is. So the way I look at this is if it stays standing, Norma's going to piece her up. Like, I don't even think there's a question. I don't think Felicia can stand with this girl. I do think she can grapple with her. So, yeah, Felicia's definitely live for a submission here, but I don't think she should have the price tag she does. I think it's closer to a coin flip. And since she's so tough, I actually think Norma Dumont by decision is the best play on the board here. That's about plus 275. I think you'll feel okay about that going into the third round. I don't think you're going to feel like, okay, we really need to get it together here. I think this fight's going to be close, and I think she's going to land the better strikes. Can Felicia take her down? Maybe. She's a pretty good grappler herself. This isn't Zara. This isn't Megan. I don't know. So we're going to learn a lot here. And I'm willing to be wrong with a plus 275 price tag. So, uh, yeah, give me Norma Dumont here. I, I think there's good value. 
I think the thing that a lot of people want to see in this fight is that actually go 15 minutes so that we can get a little bit more data on Miss Norma Dumont because I feel like there's a lot of that lacking uh, in terms of regional tape and obviously from what we've seen from her inside the cage in the UFC. Brian, how are you feeling about this one? People are starting, you know, I'm a confident guy. I pick my picks. No one really sways me, but a lot of people like the new Dumont number and I just don't see it. I think Spencer has this. I mean, Spence, let's play MMA math for a little bit. Spencer choked out Megan Anderson. DeMont got knocked out by her. I mean, we're going to cap it that way. Let's do it. But I just, Norma DeMont just hasn't really fought anybody besides Megan Anderson got knocked out. She fought Ashley Evan Smith. Great, you know, great tattoos. That's all the compliments I'm going to give her. Um, and, and Felicia Spencer's been in there with some, the female goat. She's been in there with some really good girls. And if the prior, the, the previous, or excuse me, the prior UFC fights were some solid girls as well. She is struggling with her striking. Obviously, it's very slow. It's very plodding. Her, her, her main objective in this fight is get the fight to the ground, get on top, and pound away. She's been able to do that because she's a lot bigger than a lot of these girls. But Dumont's a, a, a good-sized girl from 145. It's a good weight class for her. So I think it's going to be challenging for her to do that. But I like Spencer in this fight. It's a fight I'm going to bet as well. I, I don't know if I'm going to touch props. I really don't. Don't really have a read on how this fight's going to go. It, you know, it's going to be either a really close fight. It's going to go to the decision. And it's going to be kind of a bold spaghetti type deal, or Spencer's going to get a finish. I think the only one's going to finish is 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 uh, Spencer, just because she's been in there with with two of the best and got her fucking head caved in and didn't quit. Um, but I like Spencer in this. Am I going to be the only American that to pick a Canadian? Because <laughs> I love it. I love. Well, I know Craig kind of flirted with it, but he wasn't definitive. Let's see what you got to say, Locke. I want to know. I want to know, bud. Yeah, I'm taking the the Canadian uh, Felicia Spencer here as well. I do think that she lands takedowns. I do like she she has that. I hate to call it one dimensional, but it is almost one dimensional, right? She wants to get you to the ground. Her striking is not great. It's almost non-existent. But it was good enough to you know remain or go 25 and 15 minutes with Cyborg and Nunes, which is absolutely insane. Not to mention she did get pummeled on the ground a couple of times with them as well. And you could have stopped the Nunes fight on, on numerous occasions, but her durability definitely came through for her, luckily. But uh, yeah, th that's a good feather in a cap, which is weird to say, especially considering that she got pummeled in all of those fights. It's just a durability that we have to take from there. So I don't think Norma Dumont's going to finish her with strikes here. Does Norma Dumont submit her? I'm not 100% sure on that either. For me, there's too many question marks regarding Norma like the only real fights that we have from her in terms of a regional tape unless you guys have something that I haven't found was the Mariana Marais fight and uh Mariana Marais if you guys looked into that girl she's pretty much done the job for every woman that's made it to the UFC and even other organizations let me just name off a couple of names um <laughs> that she's fought uh Jennifer Maya all of these are losses by the way Jennifer Maya Roxanne Modafferi Carol Hosa, Ariane Lipsky, Vanessa Porto, Laura Procopio, Norma Dumont, Vanessa Mello, and most recently, you guys saw her a couple weeks ago, get pummeled by Kayla Harrison. So that's what Mar Mariana Marais does. And um, with that said, she had some, she gave Norma Dumont a lot of issues in that fight back in the day, or when they were fighting, right? There was a lot of issues where Dumont was not able to get back to her feet, but I'm not 100% sure she's made those improvements especially going up against a heavy grappler here like felicia spencer and it's hilarious the position that felicia spencer is in right she's like the gatekeeper in 145 pounds but there's only like eight women it she decides who gets a title shot at uh, nunez or not and even if she beats them like megan anderson they still end up getting title shots because there's nobody out there at the 145 pound division but with felicia spencer i think she has a trustworthy approach which is get the takedown and grind this fight out normal demont will definitely have the striking advantage but i don't think
think it's to the point that we're actually going to see her be effective enough to knock out Felicia Spencer or be effective enough to keep Felicia Spencer away from her and, um, you know, keep this fight at distance. So I think Dumont belongs at 145 pounds, but unfortunately for her, she's not going to, you know, have enough, uh, uh, enough clearance over girls like Felicia Spencer or even Megan Anderson to even sniff a title shot at this point in time. So I will go Felicia Spencer. I'm not 100% sure if she'll finish her. I'll go with the, the decision prop here, but I do like Felicia Spencer quite a lot. Brian, what are you saying, brother? I just want to know, did we sway Craig? Is he is he, is he he on a side yet? Did we sway him? <laughs> Craig. Oh, Canada, buddy. Oh, hey, Canada. let's there go. Got him. Let's go. Yeah. It's unfortunate that a lot of the Canadian fighters are down and transplants down in the USA now, right? I believe Felicia Spencer's down there. Uh, Jillian Robertson's down there. Alexis Davis is down there. Like, come on, women. We got TriStar. Come on, come over to TriStar. <laughs> Whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> I see that look, Craig. I know it's not as it's not as lively as when GSP used to be here back, back in the day. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. And we're coming up close uh, to, to the end of the card here. So we got Justin Taffa going up against Jared Vandera. Uh, very interesting interesting placement for this i'm not sure if you guys have noticed it too in 2021 they've always put that like sloppy heavyweight fight in that third spot right i don't want to completely understand it but it is what it is we get justin tough against jared bandera dave i'll actually let you kick this one off brother and unmute that shit i will <laughs> unmute that shit uh yeah so i like taffa here and i think there might be some value on him but it's kind of hard to say not enough data really to be super comfortable um, but he's a pretty crisp, clean striker, I think. I think he throws fairly tight technical strikes uh, for a big, sloppy heavyweight, as this is kind of made out to be. Um, so I think he pieces this guy up. If he can stay standing, it's his. I don't know that he can, you know? Like, he just hasn't been tested enough. I believe Taffa's got 100% takedown defense. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, that doesn't mean a whole lot when you fight DeCastro, Adams, and Felipe. So I think he's stuffed one pathetic attempt in his career. I can't be super confident saying I should be laying this chalk on a heavyweight that hasn't proven that he can stuff a takedown against a guy whose only help or hope to win this fight is to wrestle. Uh, but yeah, if gun to head, I would be picking Taffa. I think he probably knocks this guy out by the second round. That would be my guess. Yeah, very, very intriguing fight, especially with Justin Taffa only having six professional fights, getting launched into the UFC in front of his home crowd, and then getting stiffed by Jorgen DeCastro in that stadium. Not a good look to, to start off your UFC career, but at least he uh, he bounced back afterwards. Uh, Brian, how are you feeling about uh, Justin Taffa in this matchup? I hate this fight. I hate the fight. I hate the placement. It's just, I mean, Vanderdeer or Vander, however you say it, he called out Sergey Spivak. On the contender series, he's a goofy guy. He's got some personality, and then gets just smoked by him. I can't believe he's showing his face again. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with Sergey Spivak, but when you make such a call out, like you're that confident, like dude, you better fucking show up. He that quit in that fight. Tav is a guy who I basically killed after Jorgen Castro knocked him out. I think that was like Jorgen Castro's like only UFC win. Yeah. Slapped him. He looked really good in the Felipe fight. I, I felt like. You can tell that he was a, a four-fight, five-fight fighter in that fight. Like, he fought really stupid. Carlos Felipe has gotten skated by in some really close fights in his UFC career. And I thought Taffa really could win that if he really just stepped it on. But that's just kind of maybe the experience coming on. I think he's a guy that's proven to be pretty tough. He rebounded against Juan Adams, who at the time was just a kind of ground-and-pound, take-you-down type of dude. And, and he knocked him out in the first round. He killed him. <clears throat> Jared Van here. What what I saw in the contender series was a guy that, that that wants to get you down, wants to Donkey Kong punch you. 
But again, I, I just, I'm not going to touch this fight. I, I think the line's a little wide. I think Tatha's going to be the better fighter. He'll probably be around longer. But I think right now, we, I got to see his takedown offense more. I got to see how he's, he gets up because Vanderier learned a little bit about the spitback fight. I feel like he's going to want to take him down, pound him out. I'm picking Vanderier here. I'm not going to bet it, though. I'm, I'm not going to touch this. It's just, it's just a gross fight. I just don't like it. So that's my lean. I don't blame you at all. I did get a little respect for Justin Tuff in his last fight against Carlos Felipe, as I thought he won that fight. I, I thought he got robbed in that fight. Unfortunate for him. Uh, but uh, he showed some good things, right? Great leg kicks, great body kicks, uh, good combinations, good footwork. That's kind of what he was teed up to be when he came into the UFC before that Jorgen DeCastro fight. And then I don't know if it was the nerves of being in front of whatever. It was, what, 50,000 fans, 40,000 fans at that Israel Adesanya Robert Whitaker card. And he just throws, like, the most loopy, uh, unintelligent strikes to close the distance against Jorgen Castro and the Castro absolutely blasts him to Mars uh that night so unfortunate loss for him there uh but I do like I like Tafa here ever so slightly just the confidence level is very low given that we haven't seen him truly challenged in the grappling room which is what I think that Jared Vandera is going to do here I think Vandera is going to look to close the distance I believe he's out of that Dan Henderson training facility camp down there in California Temecula so you're thinking he's going to clinch up with him push him up against the cage probably drag this fight to the ground and make it a dirty fight but Vendera's not that great either. So, like, how good is he going to do off the off uh, uh, with top position? Is he going to be able to get him out of there? Is he going to be able to control him? I'm not 100% sure. The spot that I think is sneaky in this fight is the over one and a half, minus 120-ish for the over one and a half. I could see it taking Justin Taffa a little bit of time to truly assert himself with the striking style. And then even if Vendera is successful at getting this fight to the ground, I, I, again, I'm not 100% sure or confident that he's going to muster up all the energy required to pound this guy out or get the ground and pound finish here or even find the submission. Um, sloppy fight, dumpster fire of a fight is what I'd like to call it. Uh, but ultimately, I will go on the Justin Taffa side. And I think he finishes probably second or third round uh, with, with some strikes. Vendera seems a little like a, a deer in headlights in the striking realm when he isn't you know, the one kind of pushing the pressure himself. And I think that Justin Taffa's heavy leg kicks and his combinations are really going to catch up to Vendera the later this fight goes. And I'm expecting Taffa to probably finish him in the second or third round. Slight cardio concerns for Justin Taffa as he did start to slow in that Carlos Felipe fight. And this one might exert a little bit more energy from him, especially if they're going to be grappling and clinching up with each other. So that's something to be wary about. So if you're heavily invested in this fight, God be with you because I don't know how you can have uh, immense confidence on this side, especially at the chalk line on Justin Taffa, especially if you are leaning him. But ultimately, I will pick Justin Taffa as my pick to win this fight. And I'm going to say second or third round KO. Craig, how are you feeling about this one? Do we want to go the fun way or do we want to go like the, the real hardcore way? Let's keep like, it fun. So Justin Taffa, his grandfather was a boxing champion. His uncle was a K-1 fighter and fought Mark Hunt. And now there's pictures of him and Mark Hunt on Instagram. All kinds of fun stuff, right? His brother Junior fought with Glory. Didn't really have the sexiest record over there, but uh, all kinds of fun stuff. I look at Justin Taffa as a guy that has a lot of upside, and I think the UFC does too. And I never put a lot of stock into this, but if you've gone on and you've kind of looked at the UFC website, Justin Taffa was on Unfiltered. Pretty cool, right? Weird that a guy that's four and two is on that podcast. They also had a nice written up article. I think it was Thomas Gerbasi had that one. I read the article. I listened to the interview. What's Justin Taffa been working on? Well, 
my takedown defense and my grappling. And I've really tried to invest in that. He's also talked about the fact that he finds it easy to grapple because he played rugby. Ooh, pump the brakes a little bit there because we know <laughs> that Jared Vandera has a good wrestling pedigree. He has a decent jujitsu background, training out of Henderson's in California. But oh, by the way, Jared Vandera's striking defense sucks. Like it sucks. He holds his hands like this and hopes that he doesn't get hit and he doesn't move his head. Harry Hunsucker almost had him in the first round of their fight on Contender Series. Having said all of this, I still like Jared Damn it, Craig. That's a scary thing. I Listen, it's a garbage fight. I've started to call For these sure. fights that. It's a garbage fight. Nobody wins. Everybody loses. Why would you have this on a main card? They've had Justin Taffa on two pay-per-view main cards. They made you pay to see him fight twice. They also <laughs> made you pay to see Jacob Malkoon, your guy, get knocked out viciously by phil haas in his debut so i hate fights like this they really scare me i'll go with the wrestling of vandera but could i easily see justin taffa absolutely obliterating jared vandera and everybody in the comments section wrecking me yeah so am i all that confident no can you rip me in the comments yes and am i, am I gonna bet on it no no it's a silly silly fight i'm gonna go with uh 2021's chris touchisher and Jared Van Der. What a throwback. I love that you threw Tushisher in there. And Craig, you are you definitely know you gotta have the balls to go out there and pick guys like this and be confident in your picks, especially with all the trolls that we get in the comment section and all that type of stuff. That's why we come out on the other end when we get picks like Derek Brunson against Admin Shabazin, when we get uh Marina Rodriguez beating Amanda Hibas. You gotta have the balls, you gotta have the confidence to make those plays. And I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, that Jared Vandera comes out with his hand raised this weekend. All right. That brings us right to our co-main event. And this one, I can't wait to hear the takes from everybody in the uh, on the panel tonight. We got Yan Jianan going up against Carla Esparza. The line movement, everybody was aware of it, right? Yan Jianan opened up minus 195. She's down to minus 115 now. A ton of Carla Esparza love out there. Brian, I'll let you kick this one off. Who are you liking here? This is tough because I've been a, a kind of – I've cashed a lot of tickets on Carla Esparza. She had that skid a little bit where everyone was fading her Vegas was putting her at plus 200s and and it's like this girl was is the was the first strawberry champion she choked out Rosa Muniz and her wrestling is sick her grappling is good she did lose sight a little bit maybe she tried to be a striker a little bit want to really well around the game but now she's back to grinding girls out and Yashanan is a girl who I think I kind of sleptwalk on a little bit, right? It's my own fault. I was so memorized by Wei Li Zhang, what she's doing, that like there's this other killer coming up. And she looked great against Claudia Gadela, which is a big win. I mean, I know Claudia has been up and down, but that's an elite girl and an elite fighter regardless. And um, this is tough because I don't fade Carla a lot, but I just think Jan is, is so motivated. I think she is right there for a title shot. I think she knows it. She looks sharp. She looks clean. She's not way Lee. She's not brute power. She's very technical cardio for days. Um, I like Jan here. I like Jan over Spars. I think Spars is going to get a little frustrated. She's going to hunt for takedowns a little much. She's very hittable. That's the one thing she hasn't learned from the Joanna fight when she lost was she's still very hittable and she'll bite the mouthpiece and throw herself. I mean, she's got punches, but they're not, they're not snappy. She pushes them a lot of times, but I like Jan here. I think Jan is 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 at the place right now where she could very much well get that title shot, and uh, I like it. And I like the line movement too because it's a fight I'm betting. I mean, keep getting that line down. I think Jan is. Uh, I, I love that people like Carla because I'm a Carla fan, but I like Jan in this fight. 
Yeah, Yanu was definitely one of the people that were on my radar, especially after UFC debut against, I believe it was Viviani Pereira. But, uh, you know, I, I thought she had a high a high upside. I was really looking forward to some China-on-China -China violence between her and Wiley Zhang, and uh, that was a fight that I hope we get to see still in the future, even with Zhang losing the title a couple weeks ago. But uh, I ultimately do side with Carla Esparza here. She's one of the dogs that I'm a little bit more comfortable with on this card. I will say, just as uh, Brian said, Carla's been a little bit of a money train for me as well. I crashed on her at plus 158 against Marina Rodriguez back in July of last year. And then September of 2019, catching her as a plus 107 dog to Alexa Grasso. That Marina Rodriguez fight, very skeptical though, right? Like she's controlling it for the majority of each the first two rounds and then drops for a heel hook for some goddamn reason. What do you think in there? She got an earful from Colin Oyama going into the corner there. Um, and hopefully she learns from those fights here. I mean, luckily for her, the judges still ended scoring up uh, one at least one of those rounds for her. I believe she won the third round too, uh, pretty decisively. But her wrestling, if if Tatiana Suarez is uh, absolutely correct in saying that she's going up to 125 pounds now, I believe that Carla Esparza has the best wrestling in that division, bar none. She has the best background, she has the best credentials, and she has the best like statistics as well in terms of getting girls to the ground and being good on top. Like she's not a submission over position type of wrestler either. She is. Let me get that dominant position. Let me try to ride this out. Let me just stay active enough that the referee doesn't stand us up and I'm going to get a bunch of control time and win this fight. Carla Esparza is heavily overlooked at all times, which is why, like Brian said, always the underdog, just as she was in this fight against Yan Zhaonan. Now, if Yan had a little bit more power and a little bit more zest on her shots, I'd be a little bit more uh, you know, scared for the Carla Esparza betters like myself. But like she's shown a lot of improvements since the Yanni and Jacek uh, fight when she lost, lost her title. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, um, you know, she's taken a beating. She's still coming forward. I think the only person to finish her as of late was Tatiana Suarez. But can you really blame her? Tatiana Suarez is the uncrowned champ, in my opinion. That Nobody's going to beat that girl. Um, but but Carla Esparza comes close in terms of being as dominant with that wrestling and getting opponents to the ground and grinding them out. The Yan Zhaonan fight with Claudia Gadelia last uh, fight last time around showed me all that I need to know. She still can't stop takedowns. She can work at Team Alpha Male all she wants. It's not going to help your wrestling to the, uh, to the effect of stopping takedowns from Carla Esparza. And even though Claudia wasn't able to get the takedowns later in the fight, we know what the rap is on Claudia, right? After that first round and a half or so, everything starts to taper off and she's not as effective with it. Whereas Carla Esparza, we know she can go 15 minutes. We know she can go 25 minutes if she needs to in terms of grapple fucking you and getting you to the ground and getting that top control. And that's ex exactly what I'm expecting here. The, another thing that kind of made me even more confident in Carla Esparza is the 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 ease in which Claudia Gadelia was able to corral her in those later rounds, in the, the later minutes of this fight, corral her up against the cage, push her up against the cage. And even though she wasn't landing or damaging her or anything like that, and Yan Zhaonan was the one landing the strikes, even defending, uh, I think Carlos Esparza, the fact that she can even just close the distance there, drag this fight to the ground, I think she'll be able to get this, uh, you know, the takedowns almost at will in this fight. And then the pop on Yan Zhaonan's sh shots are just not there. I'm not, I don't think that she's going to one punch knockout Carla. I don't think she's going to hurt her to the extent that Carla Esparza is going to, you know, deer in headlights it and just like flop to the ground or anything like that. Carla is a very tough woman. She can take a beating. She's very durable and she's going to continue to chug forward and look for those takedowns. I like the fact that she doesn't hunt for submissions. Let's just control you. That's all we need to do. Let's not give up the position. Let's not let you get back to your feet. Let's not sacrifice any dominant positions like that. And I expect her to do that here against Yan Zhaonan. 
stay safe, keep her down, uh, and get that decision victory. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was like plus 160, plus 200 on Carla Esparza by decision. Let me see if that line is still correct. Uh, plus 150 on Esparza by decision. Not too bad of a line, but even taking her straight, plus 100. I think there's some solid value there, as I do believe she should actually be the favorite in this fight. So shout out to anybody that got plus 140, plus 160, or even plus 180 on Carla Esparza earlier in the week. I do think she's the right side, and I do think she pulls off the victory here and possibly finds herself in a title shot of uh, six years or five years after losing the title to uh, Ioani and JJ. Craig, how are you feeling about this matchup? Talk me down. You like the Beastie Boys? Yeah. No, do you? That's a question. You yeah. like the song Make Some Noise? I like that uh, album. I, you know, can't tell me nothing. Can't tell me nada. I don't care about all of that. I like Yonjo Non in this fight. Come on. <laughs> I remember driving down to beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada with a bunch of friends. And we went to see Carlos Sparza fight random Marcos. And I thought, wow, these two are kind of at a crossroads. And then their careers kind of went weird. I mean, for Randa, it was win-lose-win. For Carla, she kind of started to rebound. He talked about the one loss there. I, she was one of those fighters that, yeah, she's got that one skill set, but it's almost like she keeps getting better at it at Team Oyama. And then I look at Yan Xiaonan. And uh, listen, I don't go too hot and heavy into the numbers unless I have a little bit of a, you know, uh, a period where they fought. You know, if it's one or two fights in the UFC, okay. Freon Jonan, she's been around enough. 75% takedown defense. I like it. You look at it for Esparza, she only got two of 10. But like you said, she can kind of wane as the fight goes on. I thought Esparza beat uh, Gedalia when they fought in Chicago. And I know the fans booed at the time, so they were kind of in agreement. But I, I look at this fight, Yan Jonan. If she can strike from distance, you look at Carla Sparza, kind of like a, a Court McGee. I'm going to strike my way in. I'm going to try and clinch. I'm going to try and get the takedown. I like Yan Jonan's complete game. I like the team alpha male connection. And while I didn't like it for the reasons that I've already mentioned for Hamosh, I do like it for Yan Jonan in this fight. I think she's going to be able to get the win. And shouts to Drake Riggs, probably the biggest conductor of the Yan Jonan train here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Dave, bring it on home for us. How are you feeling about this matchup? Well, I feel like it's a slam dunk to go to decision. Uh, Carla's nine of her last 10 to decision. Tatiana Suarez finishing her was the only time it didn't. Uh, that's kind of out of play here. And Yan is six of six going to decision. Like you said, no pop on the shots. Like you said, Carla doesn't go for submission. She keeps position. I love the over, and it's sitting at like a minus 400, I know, but like that's nowhere near high enough. This is like a 90 percenter, not a fucking – 80 or a 78 or whatever this is way off it should go over easily and i like either girl by decision if you can make a strong case for either girl take that decision prop it's like plus 140 on yan plus 150 on carla i honestly think you're gonna sweat your ass off these judges a they can't be trusted but this has split decision written all over it yan's gonna piece her up on the feet but you know she doesn't throw hot shots but she does land six a minute to carla's two something uh, as long as it's on the feet, she's going to be pulling ahead. And as long as they're in the clinch, Carla's going to be pulling ahead. I'd rather not have the headache. I'm just going to lay the chalk, set some parlays with that as the anchor, kick my feet up, enjoy it. Yeah, I'd be surprised if we saw a finish on the other side here, especially if if Yan Zhaonan wasn't able to get out Claudia Gadelia in terms of like the way that Claudia falters with her cardio. I don't think she'll be able to get Carla out of here either. So uh, 
kind of some disagreements here. I don't mind it. I do still feel very confident in my color. So as far as a spot here, uh, even at plus 100, I think it's a solid spot. All right. That brings us to our main event. And I do want to remind you guys, please do hit that like and subscribe below just to show you boys some support. I truly appreciate it. No UFC next week. So there will be no Ultimate Wayne show next week. We do have a week off. We are back on June 5th. Uh, I believe that's Jersey and Rosa strike against Cyril Ga or uh, Augusto Sakai, I should say. Uh, that's the main event. No idea why. Don't ask me. I don't make the fucking main events. But that is the main event on June 5th. So we will be back June 4th for the next edition of the Ultimate Wayne Show. And when I announce the cast, I promise you guys will find out as soon as possible. I'm still working out those kinks. All right, let's get to the main event here. Very excited for this one. We got Rob Font going up against uh, Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt obviously coming off that big win over half the Sunset where he knocked him out with a beautiful highlight reel finish. Uh, and then he was scheduled to fight Davison Figueredo for the 125-pound title uh, back in November. He pulls out, and now he's back at 135. Like, nothing happened. So, is what it is. Brian, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off, brother. How do you feel about... Uh, how do you feel about uh, Rob Font and Cody Garbrandt here? I I can I confess something on my podcast this week that I've been ignoring basically for a long time is I'm a huge Cody Garbrandt fan. I know it's cr he's cringy. He is not the great trash talker. His fight IQ is dog shit, but his skill is great. And I've I've said like if this guy had a chin and had like fight IQ, he maybe would still be champ. I know that's crazy to say. I think he's that good of a boxer. I think his hands are that good. He's starting to throw kicks in there. You look at Rob Font. Rob Font, they're the same height, but Rob Font's got a 16-inch reach. The weigh-ins, I expected Rob to be a little bit bigger because he seems like a big 35er. And if Cody's talking down to going to 125, but they, they seem pretty evenly matched. I know Rob might have been sucked out a little bit with the weigh-in, but it, this is tough for me because you got, you know, when when I when I cat fights, I try to take emotion out of it, but it never works. It never works. I always <laughs> lean on emotion. I always lean on who I want to win. And I love betting pick em fights. I love betting dead even fights because my ego is like, you know what? It's probably not a smart strategy to gamble on these fucking dead even lines, but I want to be the guy that's right because every capper is going to have a different lean. I've seen a lot of people take Ralph Font. So with that being said, I'm not going to break down the technical aspects of this fight because I think this could be – you guys are going to do all that as really well, but – Cody, I think, is the faster guy. And I think if I, I'm waiting on the Cody that fought Dominic Cruz, that five-round fucking performance where he was slick in there, he's moving, cardio's not an issue, he's fast, he dropped down like three times. I think Cody's big path to victory here is obviously not to get crazy, not to throw 40 fucking right hands and get caught, but to leg kick, kick Rob leg up because he's very heavy on that front leg with his boxing style. He was throwing some kicks in the Sunsaw fight. I like I like Cody to kick here, and I like Cody to um, be a little bit faster. I don't think a finish is going to happen on the Cody side. Rob easily could finish Cody because Cody's chin is definitely questionable. But I like Cody by decision here. Um, I, I, you know, again, this is an emotional pick. This is more of an emotional pick. So I'm going Cody by decision. I just I just I just like him. It's like the guy. Can't what I can say. Bias always seems to creep in for some people at times, but credit to you for actually like claiming it, right? A lot of people won't actually claim it to be like, ah, no, no, a bias. I still like this guy. So shout out to Brian for actually being transparent regarding that. In terms of how I feel about this one, I'm on the Rob Font side of things. Again, very close fight. I more than likely won't have any action on this fight because I do think it's very close. If anything, you go out there and just throw the fighters and go to decision in a couple parlays that I do think that that has a solid shot of hitting. I know it's a little bit chalky, but I don't see this fight going 25 minutes to be honest. 
honest. Even the the fight doesn't ra- start round five. I think he's like minus one seventy five, minus two hundred. I think that's not too bad either. But um, the one thing that Pedro Munoz showed, and that it's kind of his game, is the leg kicking game, right? He really started to get to Cody Garbrandt before that uh, eventual finish. It was actually an inadvertent headbutt that seemed to throw Cody Garbrandt into some sort of rage. He started to see red and just started throwing like a wild man, like he always does, and then finds himself getting clipped by Pedro Munoz. You do not want to be trading in the pocket with a guy like Pedro Munoz. I promise you that. And Cody Garbrandt found that out the hard way. Um, with Rob Font, a little bit more of a technical striker, right? A little bit uh, more masterful uh, with his eight weapons. Uh, the guy goes out there and actually uses Muay Thai to the best of his abilities. Uh, shout out to Mark Delagradi, a guy who's very uh, key in the development of Rob Font's game. And um, it's great to see Rob Font like get to this pinnacle, right? Like, get to this point of main eventing a fight night against a high-level opponent and a former title a holder in Cody Garbrandt. And he's had a great streak up until this point, right? Beating a guy the, uh, like Marlon Rice the way that he did, very surprised. I thought, uh, I, I'm sure many people, especially on this panel, believe that if Rob Font was going to win that fight, it was going to come much later. There's no way that he's going to be able to finish Marlon Marais in that first round. And that's what he did. Proved some of the doubters wrong. Went out there and, and starched Marlon Marais relatively quickly. So good win for him there. With here with the Garbrandt, he's going to have to be very wary about when he implements his leg kicks because I do believe that he's going to take a leg kicking approach here. You got to slow down the faster guy in Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt, uh, you know, obviously much a better boxer, better with his hands, very good uh, speed, uh, good combinations, moves well too, just like we saw in that Dominic Cruz fight. But that fight's been years ago now, right? It's been a long time since we've seen that Cody Garbrandt. So he needs to really tap into that to truly get his game going, especially against a very uh, well developed fighter like uh, Rob Font. But I do ultimately still end up on the Rob Font side of things. I think that his Muay Thai approach is going to be a little bit too much for Cody here. Uh, I think he'll land the leg kicks at will. Hopefully he starts it off nice and early so that he can slow down Cody and then really get his hands going a little bit later in this fight. And I, I feel as though he, he'll he be able to get those shots and then get out of the way before uh, Cody Garbrandt starts to land those big strikes himself. So I do like Font here. I do like him by KO. I think it's around plus 170. Uh, but I think it happens a little bit later in this fight, probably round three, round four. Get some rounds in get that damage to start accumulating, start to slow down Cody Garbrandt, and then eventually get him out of there later. I'm, like, deep down inside, I'm hoping that we actually get, like, prime Cody Garbrandt because I feel like we've been kind of robbed of what he truly brought to the table because the guy was very skilled, right? Nobody did that to Dominic Cruz. Nobody beat him at his own game, pretty much. I thought if anybody was going to beat Dominic Cruz back then, it was going to be with the grapple-heavy approach where Dominic Cruz was not going to be able to get back to his feet. It beat him at striking. And not to mention there's a team alpha male guy as well. So I'm sure it felt even extra sweet for those guys to go out there and dethrone uh, Mr. Dominic Cruz himself. But ultimately, I do think the new New England cartel turns their fortunes around after Calvin Cater took a hellacious beating to Max Holloway back in January. I think Rob Fong goes out there, turns the tide, and gets a big win over Cody Garbrandt here and sets himself up close to a title shot, if not uh, a title fight in his next scrap. So I'm going Rob Font. Uh, third or fourth round KO. Craig, how are you feeling about this one, brother? I'm going to ask you a question, and it's kind of a dick question, and I feel bad for asking it, but I'm going to do it anyway. So when was the last time that Rob Font boxed somebody's ears in? Like, absolutely boxed their ears in. Hmm. He did it. He did some good work against Rob, or, sorry, uh, Marlon Moraes. Like, got to give him some credit there. The Ricky Simone fight, good fight again. Sergio Pettis, not a bad performance either. That's that's what I was looking for. Six percent of his overall strikes were leg kicks. Mm-hmm. Sergio Pettis is a smaller guy. Sergio Pettis, awesome fighter, great win over Juan Archuleta. Give him his flowers. He looked great in that one. Rob Font's not a big kicker though. 
but neither is Cody Garbrandt. So yeah. we're going to trade in the pocket. Rob Font's got the, the reach advantage. The thing that I love about Rob Font too, again, you don't want to look too much into the stats, but there's a big enough tale that you can kind of tell a bit of a story. 47% of the time he's striking, 21% of the time he's going for a takedown, 32% of the time he's going for submissions. That's off fight metric. I love that split. Cody Garbrandt, lovely takedown defense, 100% through his overall run, but he was obliterating fools, and then he fought Dominic Cruz. And who did it better? Gavin Tucker against Sam Cecilia? Or was it Cody Garbrandt when he fought Dominic Cruz? I don't know. I love the the movement and the dancing. And, you know, if you look at it for both guys, Garbrandt's been starched in the past. And if you look at it for Gavin Tucker, he got knocked out in 22 seconds against Danny. He the last time out. But when I look at this fight, I like the speed of Garbrandt. He can get a little bit too cocky. We saw that in the Munoz fight. Yeah, it's cool that you can dance and everything. But when, you know, the rubber hits the road, headbutt or not, the guy's a little chinny. I still do like him in this spot. And you talked about Rob Font's boxing. One of the things that I do like about certain fighters, I like it about Michael Chiesa. Oddly enough, I like it about Michael Johnson. When I see you on regional shows cornering fighters, I absolutely love that. And if you want another main reference, here it comes. I saw Rob Font in Bangor, Maine, of all places, in a ballroom at the university. And he was hopping around before the fights, like, you know, moving around in the cage with some of his fighters. But I love it. That That's what you like to see. That's the dedication that you love. So if you like stuff like that, Rob Font, your guy, I can't, uh, you know, I can't really stunt on anybody that's taking Rob Font. It's a really close fight. Pop and popcorn for old Craig, but I do have Garbrandt in this one. I like it. Dave, you're going you're gonna to make it uh, a Cody side or a Font side here? I'm going to make it a Cody side. Look, I like Font, and if it was a three-round fight, I'd probably pick Font because he's got the volume, and volume wins you on the scorecards. But in a five-round fight, I find it hard to believe it goes the distance. And so it's going to come down to some variance, and that variance includes Cody's chin, which everybody thinks is wrecked. I kind of don't. like. I, it happened, and I know it happened like in a row, so it's easy just to write it off as facts. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get knocked out for a few and that's kind of just a thing of the past. Cody's a more dynamic striker. I think at some point he's going to land a big shot or, you know, get dropped himself. So I kind of like the under in this one. Uh, Cody inside the distance plus 190 I like. Um, yeah, Cody, man, you know, for a guy who's fighting at 135, he's got a knockdown rate of 4%. That's, like, really good. That's very, very good. Um, I don't know that he's going to drop Rob Font, but at some point, he very well could. I kind of think Cody gets the knockout, big victory. He's back, yada, yada, maybe a title fight against Figueredo. You know, they, I think they would be good for the UFC if Cody won in dynamic fashion, but uh, they still got to get in the cage and get this thing done. But, yeah, it's a tough one for me. The data suggests Rob Font, um, and I, I like his pressure and I like his boxing. But if it doesn't go the distance, then it just comes down to the variance. Who's going to land the bigger shot? I think it'll be Cody. I think. I don't know. That's a shitty fight to bet, I think. So maybe don't do that. The last thing I'll leave you with is this. Because I like Rob Font in a three-round fight because he's got the volume, I think there's a very reasonable chance he gets ahead in round one. You get that live line on Cody. You fire away a pizza on it. You enjoy the fight. I'll leave you with that. That's what I'm thinking. Very close fight for sure. I, I I applaud anybody that has confident or or big money on this fight because it could go either way. Uh, both guys highly skilled at this point in time. It could be the comeback of Cody Garbrandt, but it could also be the arrival of Mr. Rob 
Fonda. All right, that's pretty much the card. I appreciate everybody checking it out. I feel like I'm on an island in the co-main event and the main event, but it is what it is. That's what ends up happening when we have sharp guys on the stream, so I'm happy to have them on. And uh, yeah, again, no announcement for the next edition of the Ultimate Wayne Show yet, but I will give that to you guys as soon as possible. Uh, so on the back end here, I'm going to throw it around the horn so everybody can plug their stuff so you guys know where exactly to find these guys. I do want to remind you guys, please do hit that like and subscribe. Uh, definitely helps your boy out. But first and foremost, Craig, where can they find you guys? Drop all your social medias everywhere and anything that you want to plug. Well, I mean, you can't find me in Maine these days because they won't <laughs> let anybody cross the border. But I can't wait to get back. Um, no, you can find me at Craig Allen FNP. You can always find us at Fight Night Picks, Twitter and Instagram. I'll give Matt the plug. You can find him at Matt Allen FNP, but he sucks. So you might as well just not follow him at all. We got a show tomorrow, question mark kicks, 3 p.m. Eastern on the YouTubes to offer up the final picks, predictions, and all of that good stuff and previewing the fights. But uh, yeah, listen, great slate of fights coming up this year. There's some wonky ones. Like I saw, uh, what is it? Alan Amadovsky gets another kick at the can yeah. on a pay-per-view card against a fighter who's what, three and two? So yeah, it's just wild times to be an MMA fan. So go check out the fights and thanks again for having me. Absolutely. I'll be sure to have Matt Allen on next time so he can respond to you with that jab at him at the end here. Uh, Dave, go ahead and plug your stuff. Where can they... Uh, <laughs> nice little trophy for my guy Craig there. Dave, uh, go ahead and plug yourself, my guy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dave Milhouse. I host a MMA show called Line Sniper Fight Night. That's every week that there's an event for UFC. Uh, you can check that out on YouTube, Line Sniper HQ. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. You'll find me on YouTube as well, Dave Milhouse. I appreciate you having me. It was a lot of fun. Always nice to chop it up, have a drink, and talk some fights. So hope we can do this again, man. Absolutely, absolutely. You guys can find me every now and then online, Sniper HQ as well, as I am in that rotation of guys that helps out Dave to break down these UFC fights. And on the back end, Brian Petrie, please let them know where they can find your ass. MMA Takes Podcasts everywhere. We're on uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. I'm more active on Twitter. That's my preferred app. But follow me everywhere. MMA Takes Podcasts. We're on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all the hits, all the stuff. Just go uh, go listen. You know, we're, uh, yeah, we've been doing it for a little bit. It's fun. I love doing this. This is, uh, you know, I've been doing it for a little bit now, and this is uh, this is fun, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's good to, good to talk to everybody. Love me some Brian. It definitely got to give that guy a little bit more shine. He is a professional behind that mic. Has the setup, has the has the looks, has everything. I love my guy Brian Preachy for sure. So make sure you guys uh, give him some love. Do want to remind you guys that links to their Twitters are in the description below. So if you guys don't want to bust out the keyboard and type it all out, just hit the description, click on that link, and you guys can follow them nice and easy right there. So shout out to once again, my guys Craig, Dave, and Brian. Good luck on your bets tomorrow. You guys can find me tomorrow night or tomorrow morning, afternoon, I guess you guys say 1 p.m eastern i'm going to be doing my fight day live chat it's all about you guys in the chat you guys drop all your comments uh questions concerns for the card i'll be happy to answer them for you and then you guys take an hour break and then you guys go check out question mark kicks with craig allen and his brother uh over there at 3 p.m eastern as well so we got ton of content for you guys on fight days and don't forget 4 p.m eastern uh prelim start time tomorrow don't be snapping on that stuff Good luck on your bets. Good luck on your DraftKings lineups. And good luck to on your prize pick stuff too because I love me some prize picks as well. All right. See you guys uh, in two weeks. Again, no UFC next week. So don't be uh, sitting in front of your TV on Saturday hoping that you're going to see some fights because you're not going to see some fights. Good luck on your bets tomorrow.